Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. I'm a fan of classic movies. They say, human see, human do. The dear departed once said to me, I never met an ape I didn't like. Look, it's a man! In heaven's name, get rid of that creature! Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! He can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk. I can sing. Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. If man was superior, why didn't he survive? You did it. Cut up his brain, you bloody baboon! What I know of man was written long ago. Set down by the greatest ape of all, our lawgiver. <laughs> you maniacs! You blew it up! Damn you! God damn you all to hell! 20th Century Fox wants you to go ape. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discussing cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-host, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And here we are. We're back with our second trek into the Forbidden Zone. Last week you heard us talk about the original Planet of the Apes from 1968. And today we're going to be hitting Beneath the Planet of the Apes in part of our, you know, non-film series we're doing where we're going through each of the Planet of the Apes movies um, and seeing what they still have to tell us, what they still have to yeah. uncover because these movies, for all their goofiness and silliness, can be quite dense as far as popular yeah. art storytelling, I think. So, um any other thoughts, I guess, where we left off from Planet of the Apes last um, week and heading into this one? Not particularly. I feel like we kind of got to everything, but um, it's great. Um, 
And it, like we, I think we had said, you know, we had said this already. It says so many things mm-hmm. um, about what it is about. It's going to be interesting to go through these, uh, the rest of these, and kind of parse out what it's talking about. I feel like this movie's themes are a lot more direct. Um, yeah, yeah, much more apocalyptic in vision than uh, even that first one was. So definitely, um, yeah, I think so. And this uh, again, this film came two years after the big success of the original. Um, so, Levi, why don't you run us through some of the big cast and crew with Alrighty. this? Alrighty. Let's see. Well, first of all, um, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is a 1970 American science fiction film directed by Ted Post and written by Paul Dean. Um, or Dan. I guess you just say Dean. Huh? That's, what, that's what I'm going to say. So Yeah. Um, as far as what the movie's about, I'll kind of talk about that really quickly. Um, so... Another spacecraft, and it's like immediately, basically after, literally immediately after the events of Planet of the Apes, which I'm always interested in things that pick up immediately where things leave off, um, because I find that to be a very um, flawed idea, personally, Mm -hmm. Um, because let's say in the case of this movie, where it's like, okay, we immediately pick up where we left off, another spaceship immediately crash lands, there is a an ape general who's very big character in this movie who was not at all a character in the previous movie that seems to just materialize out of thin air. Like, you know, um, there's a lot of things that just happen very immediately that doesn't... There's not a lot really, of space to no. breathe. Or and, to breathe yeah. But anyways, so that's its own problem, and a lot of other things do that, so this is the only thing. So another spacecraft crashes on the planet ruled by apes carrying astronaut Brent who searches for Taylor and discovers an underground city inhabited by mutated humans with psychic powers. Um, so and, this is, you know, we'll talk about this as we go through it. This introduces another breed kind of of human because right. the human we saw in the first movie was almost like, you know, Neanderthal-like. They couldn't talk. They were very, yeah. you know, uh, guttural. They didn't have a, you know, they weren't articulate. Right. The humans in this are, again, they're fe- effectively these mutant creatures. And they, th- have, they evolved yeah, from and they talk, but also... Were. The way I remember it, they also have these psychic powers. Well, did I just read that anyway? That yeah, that they have psychic powers. Yeah. So like, there are some funny moments where they're just like looking at somebody, and this weird sound happens, and then they're like, "Oh my head," you know, whatever mm-hmm. that crap. Um, but yeah, it's a different type of thing, and th- they would do this again with Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Is a similar situation where there's these mutant humans that drive around in school buses, which mm-hmm. I always have remembered as being yeah. really funny. Um, even when I was younger, because actually when I was younger, when I fir- first saw these movies, kind of the first two movies of these I saw, other than the Burton Planet of the Apes, which have been the first of these I ever would have seen, actually. But I saw Planet of the Apes, which I really loved, obviously. But then I randomly skipped to Battle for some reason. and Dude, skipped has a battle. Them. Right. I think that was why. <laughs> and those were the only two I had seen for a long time. This is a similar situation with the original four Superman movies. The only two I have seen are the first one and uh, The Quest for Peace. I don't know why that is. I yeah. have no clue. Maybe in that case it's because we have... Uh, oh, God. What's the ge- name of that guy in that that's the villain that's like... Sun Man. Solar Man. Solar Man, whatever. Yeah. Destroy Superman. Yeah, that's yeah. what I always think um, of saying. But that I had se- I've seen that and I haven't seen Superman two or three. Um so anyway. Um doesn't he have like the voice of Lex Luthor? Yeah, he's got that? Gene Hackman's right, voice. Which yeah. is really weird. Nuclear but, Man's right. his name. Oh Nuclear yeah, Man, okay. Yeah. Whatever. Um 
But anyway, so yeah, I'd actually seen Battle before these other sequels. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, yes, it's interesting how they continually say there's no more humanity, but there's this little thing. It's a very sequel uh, thing to do. you know. But by doing Um, that, obviously, we're going to see a lot of the nuclear themes come more to the fore. Because they worship a doomsday bomb. Yeah. Uh, So... That is known as the Alpha and Omega Bomb. Mm-hmm. So, whatever. Um, and we'll talk about the ending here in a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, that they essentially survive. They like live in the remains of St. Patrick's Cathedral, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, in New York City. Yeah, because I've never seen um, like the Radio City Music Hall Marquee, right, I think, is yeah. like part of their underground yeah. kind of layer there. And that they had survived a nuclear holocaust. Obviously, they are not the human beings that lived there originally. I guess they're like been breeding underground, Descendants, like a bunch yeah. of freaks. So, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's basically where we're at. But part of the whole thing with this movie is that Ursus, the general, who's this kind of gorilla ape general, and I want to talk a little bit about, and we'll talk about in the themes later about this movie being especially about tribalism and class in a different way than the original yeah. movie. Um, that. There's this guerrilla general named General Ursus who's kind of leading all this big, the kind of guerrilla army to wanting to invade the Forbidden Zone um, and kind of, you know, go against these humans that are out there, supposedly, which we never heard about in the first movie, strangely. Don't know why, but, well, you know, it's I'd, because it's a sequel. I yeah, know, but well, also, like, you know, we do get the inclination at the very end that there are things that um, Zayas and some of these other sure. apes know that they don't tell to other people. Right. And considering that kind of our main ape characters are, um, uh, gosh, what's our, what are their Cornelius names? And Cornelius Zero. and uh, Zero. Zero. That they wouldn't know about that either. So that's something I can kind of buy. Yeah, because, I guess so. Uh, but, yeah. Because I think there's maybe a fear on Zayas' part that Taylor is going to go and maybe become allies with those humans and could very well set off the bomb right. to destroy even the apes too. So yeah, I do kind of, yeah. I, I kind of buy that right. actually, yeah. logically. And we'll but. talk about here in a little bit about some of the pre-production for this and how that was sort of an idea they wanted to use. But mm-hmm. then. So I'll go through the cast here. James Franciscus um, as Brent. Um, now he kind of gets the rap in a lot of the reviews of this time and in the popular memories in your sense that he's just kind of like a Taylor, you know, redo. It's just yeah. like, well, we can't have Heston be in this movie for its entirety because that's another thing. Heston is in this, but he's really on the very, in the very beginning and the very end. And I, he kind of stipulated that he wanted to be killed off and he wanted the franchise to basically be ended after this one. Right. And so he wasn't really in this. And so in its stead, we're like, well, let's find another handsome blonde guy yeah. to be the human main character and as it turns out um James Franciscus ends up being the guy. Right. What are some of his other credits? Well, you can I'll see in here. here. He was I think a, he's known as a TV actor. Right. He was first. on shows Mr. Novak, The Naked City, which remember The Naked City was actually, you know, it was sort of I guess inspired by that um um oh gosh, what's that guy? Jules Dassan's yeah. uh film 50s movie or late 40s mm-hmm. movie uh, which we saw and were kind of like a about it's fine right. but kind of forgettable um but then that would later a spin-off of that would be route 66 was actually a spin-off of the naked city show which mm-hmm. is far more known and we really want to watch but anyway the investigators long street doc elliott hunter some other movies he was in he died only at 57 in 1991 actually on july 8th 
Mm-hmm. So that was just a few days ago when we were recording this. Um, but he was uh, of emphysema, it said, so I guess from smoking or something, I don't know. Um, but some other things he was in, this is kind of the biggest thing as far as movies, mm-hmm. but another thing I'm seeing is, this was like in 1981, there was a made-for-television movie uh, called Jacqueline Bouvier Kennedy where he played John F. Kennedy. Really? So that's that's kind of weird. But um, yeah, I mean... Not a whole lot of other stuff, really. I um, do have um, recently uncovered evidence about um, an alternate history about his yeah. role in Hellboats, as you see in oh, 1970. Hellboats. Yes. Um, okay. Just since we've last recorded, I've read all of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the novel by Very Quentin quickly, Tarantino. It's important to note the movie before that he was in was called The Great Sex War. So, <laughs> no Wikipedia page for just that, know by that. the way. Yeah, it's probably better off that there isn't um, one. But yeah, go ahead. First off, I'm going to fight the temptation to just talk about this book the whole time because this is a very fascinating book from a very fascinating movie. Um, it, it, it kind of, towards still the beginning of the book, it actually jumps ahead to talk about what Rick Dalton's career played by Leonardo DiCaprio in the movie, what it was after the events of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he and his stuntman Cliff Booth basically killed off the Manson family that was right. in real life attacked, yeah. Sharon Tate and her friends, um, that he fought again fought against them and then that he actually kind of saw a didn't like radically help his career but he did get a few roles after the celebrity of that that was like he got a mission impossible episode because of his celebrity and he was actually seen as this like a hero to the nixon silent majority generation oh this guy this tough cowboy guy we all knew fought these hippies or whatever yeah um and it talks a, a little bit about he was good friends with paul wincoast the director who was a real tv and film director uh, Rick Dalton was, mm-hmm. um, and it talks a little bit about um, Wincoast was gearing up to do one more, a Navy-based adventure with the pulpy title, Hellboats. The movie was initially set to star the blonde television actor James Mr. Novak Franciscus, but when Franciscus' starring role in 20th Century Fox is beneath the Planet of the Apes went over schedule, Wincoast was forced to look for another TV-famous American. And just as he did on McCluskey when he lost Fabian due to a broken shoulder, Wincoast thought of Rick Dalton. So Rick Dalton got a role... Um, got his role in Hellboats. Because this movie, playing Beneath the Planet of the Apes, yeah. went over budget. So I just wanted to mention that. That randomly got mentioned <laughs> so that in a all, passing So that way. all was made up, obviously. Yeah. But, that's but, but yeah. you know what's funny is about a lot of these movies it talks about, that some of them are very real, but then it's like, you know, the 14 Fists of McCluskey, as you see in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is yeah. not real. And so when I literally read Hellboats, I'm like, oh, that's not a real movie. That must be made up right. made up history. And no, it actually yeah. was a real movie that okay. he was in. So yeah. I just wanted to mention well, that briefly. And, yeah, and that's very interesting. I did want to name a couple other movies that I actually have heard of here and I'd forgotten. The Valley of Gawangi um, from 1969, which was actually, I think that was sort of like in my memory. Love his I, name, it says for that uh, too. Uh, Tuck Kirby. Tuck Kirby. I think that was like Cowboys Fight. Uh, yeah. Cowboys Battle Monsters in the Lost World of Forbidden Valley. See, it was like Cowboys fight these lost dinosaurs or whatever. Cowboys versus... It was almost like, you know, test run for Cowboys versus Aliens. Right, but anyway, I've heard of that. Um, So, anyway, just bring that up. Also, um, Marooned, uh, which is another space movie that would have came out in 1969 with John Sturgis film with Gregory Peck. Richard Crenna, David Jansen, James Franciscus, Gene Hackman. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kind of heard of that. So he was also in that. That was also released less than four months after the Paul Landon, Apollo 11 moon landing. So that was kind of... So that was. It's interesting that you'd think a movie like that would have been November. some 
huge yeah. success, and I guess people. Were, I mean, it was right. No, I have heard it of it, but I've heard a lot thing. more about like Countdown, the yeah. Robert Altman movie, stuff like that, but not as much about Maroon. Um, and then also the Cat of Nine Tails, which was a Giallo movie that Dario Argento made, um, which also had Carl Malden. Um, so, um, looks like he was in, as was the case with Rick Dalton, a lot of random uh, Italian movies because there's another movie he made in 1981 called Great White that mm-hmm. is obviously a Jaws clone. Looks yeah. like. Um, but there was but a part yeah, of me anyway, that was like, so. as I was reading this, was wondering, are there going to be any Planet of the Apes references? Because right. these movies are being yeah, made at this time, right. and it, that's the only one that's in the book. Yeah. But in past, okay. I thought I should mention it specifically yeah, because it was, yeah. I just read it, and we're right. doing this. So, <laughs> There's also a movie he was in. I don't I don't want to just spend a lot of time on James Franciscus's, uh <laughs> filmography here, but there's another movie called The Amazing Dobermans, American crime comedy. Starring Fred, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire, James Franciscus, Barbara Eden. Third and final sequel in a trilogy of Doberman Gang films. Doberman Gang, Do- The Daring Dobermans, and this. I've never heard and of And I'm these. looking at the poster here, and it's like three Dobermans running through like a ring of fire with dynamite in their mouths. So, And just the fact that starring Fred Astaire, he's not the right. person I would jump to imagine yeah. being in that. But well, he might okay. come up again here in a little bit about something random I want to say. So this might be a Fred Astaire podcast. Yeah. Um, I don't really so getting out all that. I don't really remember a whole lot about James Franciscus. Yeah, he's Franciscus just in this. he's a nice looking face. Um, yeah. the movie's just again it's trying I don't to put rinse the failure repeat. of his no, character on him. No, no, I mean it's just he right. just got cast to be in this, yeah. and he's fine enough. Doesn't really make that much of an impression. He does, you know, for all of our little criticism we said of Charlton Heston next week or last week. Yeah. Above all else, he is a memorable screen presence. You know what I mean? He just right. strikes a certain image, and his his delivery is just very distinct. And again, nothing too much against uh, Franciscus. He's just not quite the same actor right. as um, Charlton Heston. Yeah. But regardless, right? Um, yeah. Back so, in the yeah, back of Zero, Kim back Hunter, in the saddle, Kim Hunter, um, and Maurice Evans, and Linda Harrison. So those are all returning. Uh, we've all kind of talked about them in the past, so not at all to, you know, take away from them here, but, I mean, pretty much the same performances. What I remember of of Zayas in this movie, I think, is a li- just a little more on the side of Zira okay. and Cornet. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I want to read about this, but... Um, yeah, he, he doesn't really want to go into the Forbidden Zone like Ursus does, at least, is the way I remember, because he obviously probably knows what's going on. Dr. Zayas knows all, yeah. you know, but what will happen when Mr. Wu shows yeah. up kind of thing, you know, like, um, at, that's a reference to Peter Bogdanovich, Orson Welles thing. Which, you know um, what, that's a good anecdote, let's just go ahead and drop it here. I once um, said to Orson Welles, my God, that role of Harry Lyme, is, you're so great in that picture, and he said, well, he said, that's the part. It's the greatest star part ever written. Well, you know what a star part is. He says, that's where they talk about you for an hour, and then you appear. He says, I did it on the stage, one called Mr. Wu. Everybody, for the first 45 minutes of the play, says, you know, but what will happen when Mr. Wu gets here? And, yes, but what will Mr. Wu say about this? And wait till we find out what Mr. Wu thinks and all that. And he says, and everybody boils around the stage, as Orson said, for about almost an hour talking about Mr. Wu, and then just at the end of the first act, way in the distance on the stage, crossing a a bridge, comes the small figure of Mr. Wu. 
and the, everybody goes, ah, Mr. Wu. And the curtain comes down and the audience comes out and says, isn't that actor playing Mr. Wu great? <laughs> or says, that's a star part for you. Which doesn't totally apply to what we're talking about here. Yeah. But it it's this sense of like, oh, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas I just, I don't know what's going to happen when he shows yeah, up. Right. You know, it's kind of kind of like, oh, he knows everything. <laughs> Anyway, imagine in an alternate universe. Later on, we're gonna have uh, big directors pop up as roles as apes. You know, um, well, we mentioned, yeah. did we mention Orson Welles. Well, he uh, was originally gonna be Ursus, I think. Imagine him in like makeup. Yeah, this, because John you know? Huston would do it later as yeah. the as the lawgiver in uh, battle. But yeah, he was supposed to be in this. Or Bogdanovich too. You know, um, as an right. Um, but yeah. I mean, he would have. Been, he was already overweight at this point. I guess it would have fit. He he could have been. I don't know if he would have been as good as like a general. I think he could have. Would have been, been a touch of evil reunion with him and uh, Charlton Heston. That was. No, that's right. But Charlton Heston's barely in. Yes. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. But well, we're going to talk about that now. So first of all, yeah. So Kim Hunter's just back in her kind of normal sense. There's not a whole lot to say about in this. Uh, and Dr. Zayas. One thing I want to mention now, though, is Cornelius is only in a few scenes of this, but he's not played by Roddy McDowell because Roddy I McDowell we last week, yeah. was directing a film called Tam Lin. Um, what is this? It, it on Wicked or on IMDb. It says based on an ancient Scottish folk song, an older woman uses witchcraft to to keep her young jet set friends. So he was busy making a movie. Read that cast though the stars. Um, there's two uh, big ones. Ava Gardner and Ian McShane. And look at like there's a photo there on yeah, uh, the Ian IMDb McShane. of a young Ian McShane. Look at that picture of him. He's so like himself but younger. Yeah. That's so weird. Obviously. Well then okay so then it's also known as the Ballad of Tamlin. Um, so I guess he was maybe trying to be a director at this time. Um, yeah. Nobody this, really talks much about Tamlin anymore. Right. So I would assume it wasn't that uh, much of a success. But anyway. So he so he was recast at, by David or not by uh, as David Watson. David Watson was recast right. as Cornelius. Yes, yeah. I should say rather he wasn't really in a whole lot of movies. He was in a lot of TV, Rawhide, Never Too Young, Gir The Girl from Uncle. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Mm -hmm. That was a spinoff of yeah. Man from Uncle, I guess. The Time Tunnel, um, Petticoat Junction, Rowan and Martin's Laugh In, Legend of Robin Hood, Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color, Daniel Boone, Charlie's Angels, The Bionic Woman, Project UFO, and Good Guys, Bad Guys. So I would say um, you've been recognizable to the American public in a variety of ways, but yeah. you ain't going to be that recognizable in this right. in terms of all uh, the hate makeup. And he was in uh, a couple other films beyond the next mountain as Lieutenant Broughton. I've never even heard of that. I haven't heard of any of these. Lucky yeah. Break, which was a... Uh, Australian movie that had um, Mel... G is that Mel Gibson? Kind of looks like him, but I don't think I don't, it let is. Let me see who this is. Uh, no, it's not, but it looks it looked like him there. Yeah. Gia Carides and uh, Anthony LaPaglia. He was in that. I don't even know. Anyways, uh, that movie was also known as Paperback Romance. So, anyway. Okay. And then a movie called The Wannabes... Uh, Wow, look at that poster. Mm -hmm. Australian also. Yeah. Nick Giannopoulos. I'm getting bored just looking at this. Okay. <laughs> so, anyways, I don't really remember him in the movie very much. He's I wonder how many kids, even that. even adults at the time, would have even really realized that this role was recast. Nothing against Troy McDowell, yeah. but it's just like... Well, but what's so makeup, weird is you know? that he's so clearly in the next one, too. And it's like they... It's like Zayas and... 
and Zira are much more the characters than Cornelius, and he's barely in it, as far as I remember. Um, Maybe they kind of, knowing that he was recast, kind of put him more in the background and say, well, yeah. we don't need to make him as much of a character. Well, and then, of course, Linda Harrison's back as Nova. Uh, I don't think she can talk still. I'm pretty sure I don't know that she ever does that I remember. Um, and, of course, Charlton Heston, along with her, the movie starts with them. He, like, disappears from a lightning strike <laughs> and is put in the uh, mutant prison. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk more. I mean... Of course, it's a thing. Of, he didn't want to be in the movie. Uh, only took a cameo and had the request of the ending, which we'll talk about mm -hmm. here in a little bit. So, anyway. Uh, not a whole lot to say about Linda Harrison again. Once again, like you said, she's kind of just that eye candy role um, of old woman, you know, that can't talk kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice if she would have gotten more of you agency. Would think, but... You would have thought that... They would have used this opportunity to say, well, if we don't got Heston back, why don't we just like take a lot of stuff we would have done with him and transfer it on to this woman who is starting to get an enlightenment and starting to see the world in a new way now that she's met this man that's leading to her own enlightenment and self-discovery. Right. No. No. We're not going to do they that. They said, no, nope, we... Yeah. No. Nope, Sadly busy. not. Um, so then... Uh, this mutant group, we're going to go through some of them, a couple of them here. Paul Richards as Mendez, he's kind of the leader. I was looking about him here. First of all, it looks like he was in uh, randomly quite a few um, here and there um, Samuel Fuller films. He was in Fixed Bayonets, Uncredited, uh, Hell and High Water um, as a prisoner, Uncredited. So he was in. A lot of Samuel or a couple of Samuel Fuller movies, but was uncredited. Also, in between those, he was in a western called War Paint. Yeah. Um, let's see. Phantom of the Rug Morgue. Phantom of the Rug Morgue. the Knife Thrower. Yeah. Kiss Me Deadly. He yeah. And he was in Attacker. We watched that recently. Um, you had seen it already, but I had not. Um, a lot of stuff in the fifties. Uh, Blood Arrow. A lot of westerns. Obviously, yeah. that was about all I made. Unknown Terror. I've heard of that. That's a sci-fi horror movie mm -hmm. uh, monkey on my back from 57 yeah I was gonna say that's probably about like drug addiction and it was um the black whip <laughs> okay um yeah a lot of rent and then this is one of his last things he'd be really in yeah um and then I escaped from Devil's Island it's like another what is this exploitation movie about yeah me. Roger Corman Gene Corman uh it's let's see that yeah, that, that was maybe cash in on the release of Papillon. Yeah, with Jim Brown, so that's interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't... Uh, he actually died of cancer at 50 in 1974, so actually it wasn't very long after this, so I guess that's why he wasn't in more things. That's a shame. But I don't actually remember him a whole lot in this. Um, I more remember Victor Buono as... Uh, a Dipso? A Dipso, credited as Fat Man. Mm -hmm. He, of course, is was... Uh, uh, King Tut. King Tut on Batman. Yeah, Edwin's flag and whatever happened to Baby Jane, one of the all-time moments yeah. in that. Um, just, wow. Um, so, yeah, they're basically these, you know, freakish people who have telepathic abilities and worship a bomb, and there's one point where they take their faces off, and it's like, yeah. that's real weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. And then uh, James Gregory as General Ursus. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. I think he's most remembered rightly in the Manchurian yeah. Candidate he's the senator that gets assassinated 
Um, There's also in Barney Miller. Barney Miller, yeah. Um, let's see if there's some other stuff. Oh, Lord. He's got all <laughs> kinds of credits. All kinds of stuff. Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Um, Lord. Untouchables. Uh, yeah, Untouchables. Alfred, Al Capone. Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Wait, is that that? No, that's another one. Uh, The DuPont Show. Star Trek said he was on. By the way, don't you Virginia, think it's interesting that Hogan's Heroes. at this point there was a lot of this stuff that was like the DuPont show because DuPont sponsored it. Yeah. And like yeah, a lot of those soap operas brands, were yeah. named after the brand of soap opera they were. Yeah, uh Hawaii Five O, the Virginian F true. One of my favorite names of a movie of all kind all time, the Love God question mark with Don, with Knotts. Don Knotts. Yeah. Um shootout. Uh, yeah, he was in a lot of Universal Mash. stuff. Columbo. TV show. Uh, MASH, yeah. Mission Impossible, All in the Family, Partridge Family, Barney Miller. A lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, like I said, he's most remembered by everybody in the Manchurian Candidate in this, probably. Uh, not really recognizable, obviously, in this. Um, but anyway, one funny thing about this, of course, John Chambers came back to do the makeup on this movie. Um, the, and the budget, the, though, right, was lower. The budget was lower, so he... Um, and by the way, he died only within about five days of Kim Hunter. Really? Yeah. That's kind of strange. Same year? Yeah, same year. Wow. Because um, that, that would have been when that was, because she died September 11th, 2002, I remember. So uh, he died September 16th. He was 90, so he lived a long time. Hmm. Um, but anyway, that yeah, that John Chambers came back to do the special effects again. But there's a lot of crowd scenes where you can look and see how crappy the eight makeup is. But Which but if, they still put a lot of effort into the ones that are there. Right. They, uh, the ones they know they got a lot of right. screen time they're going to put yeah. more effort into. I know the ones you see in the background, though, the original movie look as good as any that are in right. the foreground. They, they, they really still put the... There were a couple moments, mainly when they're riding on the horses in certain scenes, where you can tell they just put a little less effort because they're moving so fast. Mm -hmm. But still, they really did... I mean, way. the but only I'm franchise at this you know. time that was oh, Lord, that, that you know had as high or higher budgets in the sequels were the Bond franchise because those were so those movies were so big they knew they had to spend right. a lot of money. But these, this is part of an unfortunate trend that happened with a lot of sequels is that you like did it quickly, cheaply, and less effort put into it. And yeah. I feel like you can see that all around with this right. movie, but in particular with the makeup is an easy way to spot that. Yeah. Um, Jeff Corey as uh, Caspay. This is uh, our second Jeff Corey film that we've had on here. He was in Seconds, of course. You remember oh, was the yeah. You Want That Chicken guy? Yeah. yeah. Which a lot of people think is so funny. And I'm like, in that movie, I'm like, okay, that's all right. But yeah. he was in a lot of movies. The first one I want to mention is, mention is one of my favorite titles of any movie of all time. I saw it a long time ago on TCM, the title card. Third finger, left hand. <laughs> you bring this um, up all time, with Myrna yeah. Loy and uh, Melvin Douglas. Um, he was Johan uncredited. A lot of uncredited stuff early on. Um, let's see, Daniel and the Devil and Daniel Webster. That's kind of a movie I've, yeah. I've heard about sometime. Um, let's see, North to the Klondike. That's interesting. Um, the postman didn't ring. Yeah. Okay. So he killed you, I guess, and didn't knock. <laughs> it didn't ring twice. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, Crypt Keeper, uncredited. One of the randomly worst movies ever. Um, uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah. Uh, my Friend Flicka. Um, Joe Palooka, Champ. That's funny. <laughs> Comma Champ. Who's yeah. in that? I don't care. Moving on. Um, the Killers. One of the many versions of The Killers that have been made. That was the uh, Burt Lancaster version. Yeah. Um, not the Don Siegel version. 
Um, yeah, Miracle on 34th Street. I do actually kind of remember him in that now I think about it. Um, Southern Yankee, another Joan of Arc movie. Kidnapped. Was that based on the Robert Louis Stevenson thing? Yep, it was. Yeah. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Let's Played Abe Lincoln. Oh, go where? To the, uh, Rock Island Trail. What? Some Western. Yeah. Never heard of that. Um, all right, right. Hang on. We're going to get, we're going to start getting through these. Just true just, grit. Just hang in there. Rawhide. Yeah. True grit. Um, Superman and the, the Mole Man. I've heard of that. Superman and the Mole Man. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Mickey Cincinnati one. Kid. Cincinnati kid. Seconds in cold blood. Boston Strangler. This is when he was in a lot of stuff. Like I said, true grit. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. I remember he was in that. Um, or the biggest was, thing he. There were a in. lot of random people that were in this movie shootout with Gregory Peck. It mm-hmm. turns out uh, in this movie, Little Big Man. Yeah. Is Wild Bill Hickok. I always want to see that. Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. They call me Mr. Tibbs. The sequel to uh, um, in, the in the Heat of the Night. Yeah. Last Tycoon. Oh God. <laughs> oh, that's that movie with uh, oh, what's his name. That comedian, I can never remember his name. Oh, uh, got the six George Burns. Guy, yeah. Well, was that who that was? No, no, no. Oh, I was, like <laughs> I was gonna say I didn't know that yeah. was who that was. Yeah, George Burns. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff. Anyway, he's always good. Don't remember him in this, but we're gonna be looking out for him as Caspe. Natalie Trundy. We'll kind of start going through these really quick now. Um, as Albina, I'm assuming she was a uh, probably another eight. I don't remember. Thomas Gomez is the minister. Oh, that guy. Yeah, he was in, in uh, Key, Largo. Key Largo. He was also in that Twilight Zone episode where that guy wanted to live forever and he yeah. played the devil. Yeah. Um, Don Pedro Colley is Ongaro. Credited as Negro. I remember. That's I remember him in uh, THX eleven thirty eight. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He's re- he's really good in that. So mm-hmm. I didn't know he was in that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's some there's some really racist look at stuff his, going uh, on here. Uh, look at his credits. That's yeah. a shame. Um, I mean, he's credited as Negro in this movie. I can't believe that. Mm-hmm. Is he is he another one of the uh, astronauts in the movie? Maybe. Maybe yeah, I can't okay. remember him exactly in this. Uh, so not good. Feel bad for him because yeah. yeah, he's really good in uh, THX 1138, and I feel like that's obviously a very much. I I wrote about this in that thing I wrote about it very much. Uh, uh, you know, a very social kind of role for him to be in. David Watson, we had talked about as Cornelius. Todd Andrews as Skipper. Gregory Sierra as Verger. Charlton Heston, like I said. Paul Fries, uncredited in narration. I feel like I know his name from somewhere. Um. Oh, he did a lot of voice work. MGM, Rankin Bass, Walt Disney. Man okay. of a Thousand Voices. Uh, so a contemporary of uh, Mel Blank. So I, he was he probably just did a lot of stuff. Boris Bandinov. Oh, he was the villain in Rocky Bowling. Yeah. That Robert De Niro would later say, "Are you talking to me?" Yeah. Moment, which is awful. <laughs> so that's the cast. Um. So Ted Post was the director of this. Yes, Ted Post, who I looked into some of his movies the other day. He did a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. Um. He, I think his other biggest movies he did were some uh, Clint Eastwood stuff, Hang 'em High and Magnum Force, the yeah. sequel to Dirty Harry. Um, he directed Rawhide, Gunsmoke, Twilight Zone. Literally everybody had something to do with the Twilight Zone, yeah. like, I swear. Um, the Baby. 
Oh, I've seen that poster. Mm-hmm. It's a weird poster. Night Kill, The Human Shield, Go Tell the Spartans. That was kind of like a Vietnam movie, I remember. Yeah. Um, Good Guys Wear Black. That's a Chuck Norris movie. We have, looks like him, wait, what? Elliot Gould, Eddie Albert. Anyway, uh, it looks like he made a lot of action stuff. Yeah, uh, I mean, Hang 'em High and Magnum Force are, I would say, yeah, pretty big in their own way. Right. More so than even this. Yeah. So, um, um, the Herod Experiment. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's I guess well directed enough. I don't know, but it but it, but it totally lacks right. It totally movie. lacks the inventiveness of uh, Schaffner. Um, and it was of course once again produced by Arthur P. Jacobs, and the screenplay was by Paul Dean who was famous for writing Goldfinger. Um, and then also, Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Is that the Richard Burton version? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Planet of the Apes, some of the Planet of the Apes sequels, yeah, Murder on the Orient Express. Sidney Lumet version, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then he also won an Academy Award for Best Story for Seven Days to Noon. Okay. I've heard of that. Uh, but yeah, it looks like he had a randomly kind of pretty big. Actually, yeah, he wrote all almost all of these, or no, actually all the rest of these. Yeah. Uh, so two, three, he's four, randomly probably the other than Serling the biggest writer on all the as far as yeah. really shaping and what these so movies. So in terms would be. of some of the problems with this movie, he does need to be acknowledged for a lot of the good stuff. I guess in three and four, he was yeah. the guy behind yeah. that. You well, know? and this and like we'll say, we'll talk about this movie isn't totally useless um, either. I think it has a lot of interesting things going on. So uh, we'll move on to that. But the last thing I want to start talking about, but uh, Leonard Roseman did the uh, score, um, which of course isn't as good as um, you know. Uh, anything near the Jerry Goldsmith score, but he did do Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, this movie, Barry Lyndon. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. And the animated Lord of the Rings. So. I love that you look at all those credits, it's like, you know, it's like having a police lineup, and it's yeah. like one thing clearly sticks out. It's like, you have all those credits, all oh, Barry, Barry Lyndon, Lyndon is just right. like, <laughs> which should be said, I think yeah. it has some classical music in it too, right. existing, but, but yeah. you know. So anyway, um, that's pretty much. What if like Kubrick watched this to like try to figure out, oh, who's going to score be. this? And oh, I really well, love the Beneath the Planet of the Apes score. You got to right. come on and help um, on this. So, what do we think about this movie in general? I guess. Well, again, I've only seen it once, um, and I was kind of put off by how much it tries to rinse and repeat the yeah. some of the stuff from the first movie, but that ending. Yeah. And I think I had heard some people. I don't know if it was you or other people, maybe a combination. Had hinted, oh wow, that ending though is yeah. something else. And I'm like, how, well, how could it top the ending of the original? Yeah, and of course it doesn't. But I think I, I wonder if going into this movie, like we have to have this shocking ending that people talk about. If that had to be part of it right. again, part of it has to do with Heston's own insistence of getting him permanently out of the franchise. Right. Um. But of course, that ending is where Heston kind of and a bit of supreme nihilism detonates the Alpha and Omega bomb to destroy basically all of that civilization of Earth, ape, regular humans, and then these mutant humans. And so it's just like, well, we're just going to wipe the slate clean, destroy all of it, you know? Yeah. Um, Even darker, I would say, than the original. Yeah. Not as good necessarily. But it doesn't have that uh, 
twist ending necessarily aspect of it, but it's just very evocative. Right. And much like the first one, if you walked out of that theater in 1970, you would have been talking about, oh, wow, that how big that was, that how um, dark that was for the right. moment. You know? um, yeah, and I mean, as far as it being a sequel, obviously, we read, a, and it's actually really good, this Den of Geek um, uh, review of this movie. They reviewed a lot of these on there. And it talked about how, you know, at that time, sequels were still not that common entirely Yeah. for movies this big. That's kind of hard to believe yeah. now because you know how things work even back then. They're like, oh, this made, because the reason they made this movie is because, like, oh, it made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Let's make more. The reason they made more after this is because this actually made some returns. And, and a lot of movies yeah. now already have sequels in development before the original even comes out. You can tell, I think, that, I don't know all the history of the archaeology behind this, but I would imagine that there wasn't any kind of big sequel down the pike waiting after this movie was a hit. The first one was a hit. Right. Um, but it was. And yeah. then, because everything feels like it goes in a straight line and leading to the ending of that first movie, and then that's the end of that story. Move on. Roll credits. And so I think at this point, though, they were like, okay, like, what are we going to do to, like, you know, make the next movie. And that's what's kind of adventurous about this era of movies and franchises is that you can tell they really took it movie to movie um, because the ending of this is so shocking and like, bang, the franchise is over. How can you go forward? Heston didn't want to do it. Uh, Richard Zanuck didn't want to do it. And they were like, all right, we're done with this whole thing moving on. Um, But I said... I wonder how much of it is too just like... um, the contempt they had for a franchise movie like this and of this material, and they're like, well, we got lightning in a bottle one time. There's no chance we could do it again. I wonder yeah. if that's part of it for that generation of, uh, you know, actor or right. producer, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so as a sequel, I guess, what do we... Well, again, well, you kind of said that. It yeah, kind of repeats a lot of the same It does, but stuff. then it adds this whole dimension, though, too, of, oh, the humans that are still around and that are more sentient and are more, uh, they're as zealous in their beliefs yeah. as the apes are in their own. Right. Um, so it is making a little bit more, I think, of a justified contrast between humanity and the apes. Yeah. As opposed to the apes are the sole ruling class of the first movie and everything's, they're looking down on everything else. They are more evenly matched, I think, in this in terms of these humans. Um, and it also just, gives us a window into what did more definitively bring about the destruction of humankind in the year right. before in terms of the nuclear bomb. Um, you know, it's strange, though. By 1970, um, the bomb wasn't even the threat it was five, six years yeah. before that. No. Um, even by 1968, the bomb was not necessarily the biggest threat that people saw on a daily basis. Now, you don't get to the precipice you got to in 1962 and immediately were able to climb out of that either, though. That has a long shadow that it casts over a great generation of um, citizens, consumers, critics, uh, artists, performers. The weight of that shadow is something that's going to last for a while. Um, It should be said in 1970, we're still in the midst of the Vietnam War. And this was act- the most relevant the bomb would have been talked about at this time was a conversation that was mostly happening behind closed doors, but that sometimes filtered out through the press of Nixon 
who was president at this time, trying to bang the gavel on convincing the North Vietnamese that he would be, maybe he would maybe get to a point where he would use the bomb against them. They call it the kind of the madman theory. Yeah. That, uh, oh, I'm going to convince, and that's, he up took, upticked in the bombing during this time. The, kind of the height of that was Christmas Day bombing of uh, 1972, which necessitated the kind of final peace negotiations between America and North uh, in early 73. Um, that there's just that, and he was trying to convince them, I might use the nuke on the North Vietnamese. He never seriously actually wanted to do that, but he wanted them to think that. And so, and the, and, and the American people here, um, you would, that would sometimes come up in conversation. Be like, why don't we just use the nuke on the North Vietnamese? We yeah. can end this war right now. This is something that was talked about back in the well, days of the Korean War. William Buckley uh, too. kind of got in trouble for saying on TV at various points, and people kind of challenged him on there on TV. So that was something that was very much a part of the conservative kind of uh, culture of the time. What's well, interesting, though, too, about the, what, the, the bomb at this point, too, is that you had started to have detente with Nixon a little later in his second term. And well, kinda, that, that was really big but, in 72. Right. Uh, but in then, the lead up to his They were re-election. getting towards the point of getting these these SALT-1 treaties and... With the Russians and... And, yeah, and these... Chinese, yeah. And, the, and, like, these arms reduction treaties. But that was stuff that, even though in 68 he wasn't even president yet, and even though at this point he was president in 70 but that but that was something that was starting to be realized by these world powers is we need to reduce Mm -hmm. the the threat of nuclear annihilation and that was something that uh, within only eight years really had already changed quite a bit like you said and then you saw versions of this throughout the 70s but we had a little bit more of a renewed version of this in the 80s, um, more of just yeah. with Reagan's militarism. Star Wars and, and, the, and that stuff. But it, that yeah. still didn't ever really feel like it was as big of a, well, I'm not, I wasn't around, but in the historical memory, still didn't feel as if it was ever that big of a threat um, after the mid Reagan and his really administration good. tried to play it up, um, particularly right. in 84. Um, but the days of the Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. were... We never got there again. Really, thankfully, from, uh, from after you know World War Two. Because even in '63, yeah. um, uh, Kennedy and Khrushchev had the you know uh, nuclear atmospheric testing weapons ban even then, and so you know, and so if you're thinking about the original movie in terms of where it sits in relation to the bomb. All you had to do in 68 was look out your window to see how crazy America was getting, it seemed like, at that time. And while the bomb wasn't necessarily part of that conversation, it was certainly part of that invisible um, fear that was in many ways kicked up at that time of the Cuban Missile Crisis that carried over into these new fears about Vietnam, the counterculture, um, the assassinations of the 60s. So um, it's weird. Like I said, by 1970, the bomb was not even what it was about a few years before that. But it still, for many Americans, would have represented the nadir of the possibilities of destroying civilization. And would have made sense to people as, oh, of course, that this is why this all happened, you know. Right. But the fact that it didn't even totally wipe out humanity. Yeah. But the fact that we see the humans in the first movie, obviously, who are like these Neanderthal-like, inarticulate, uh, you know, cavemen, basically. Yeah. And then in the second one, it's like, well, these survived and were more in touch with the radiation 
and they have these powers as a result of that. Right. You know. And they're deformed. Yeah. Um. So saying all that, and kind of we can jump over to the themes a little bit. Yeah. And is this kind of a more antiqu already antiquated kind of thematic journey of a movie? Uh, aside from you know, I think it, it partially picks kinda, is. It picks um, kind of one or two things, mm -hmm. and we kind of talked about how that was sort of a problem with Planet of the Apes that it picks too many things and kind of does a lot of stuff. But this kind of focuses on stuff that was already kind of not. Yeah, as, I agree. I, I think that you know, the biggest problem with this movie that could go with that is they're trying to recapture the feeling of that original movie. One of my favorite things about the third one is like, well, we're still going to be part of this franchise, but we're going to go in a kind of a radically different direction. Right. Um, but this is still caught up in the moment of, well, the first one was a hit. What can we do to capitalize on that? Um, we've talked a little bit about Star Trek in the past episode. Something we talk about a lot is this whole movie feels like a somebody took a script for a rejected Star Trek episode and said, yeah. well, why don't we graph this on to the Planet of the Apes franchise? Right. Um, because it very much feels like this is this whole, you know, uh, what's left of civilization in this with the bomb in relation to these radioactive freaks who are still around feels like a planet that um, Kirk, Spock, and the Enterprise crew would have visited. Right. And it would have been a cautionary tale about what happened to a version, a colony of, say, a colony of humanity that w was lost track with and that the Enterprise is trying to um, recommune yeah. with, and this is what happened, right? It has that feeling about it. Um, something that we were having fun laughing at yeah. was um, the possibility, the, the the realization that there actually was a literal Star Trek Planet of the Apes crossover. Star Trek Planet of the Apes, the primate directive. Uh, in like 2014, 2015, Something I believe. Something like that. Uh, uh, yeah, let's see. When what? 2014. Um, I just want to read out loud. By the way, there's a thing here basically. that says, have you read Star Trek slash Planet of the Apes? I'm going to press no. <laughs> We'd love to hear your opinion once you've yeah. read the comic. Like, yeah. okay. Anyway, here's a very short description of what this is supposedly, this dumpster fire is supposedly about. With the Klingons secretly backing a renegade guerrilla general in a coup for control of Ape City, Captain Kirk finds himself in the uncomfortable position of having to help out Dr. Zaius's orangutans, explains David Tipton. Taylor won't be happy with that. It's funny because the guerrilla apes, especially in these movies, look like the Klingons from the original yeah. show, so it's... Um, right. Original series, yeah. so... And maybe uh, this is the time to talk about what I think is the other biggest theme of this movie, mm -hmm. um, is the idea of um, the militaristic guerrilla apes um, and and the kind of sense of tribalism um, and class that kind of further differentiates itself here. The, I don't think this would be done in full once again until really uh, the Burton Planet of the Apes movie, at least in memory, what I remember Well, yeah, that. I think in part because 3, 4, and 5 of this original series are more caught up in the race to creating the situation that right. the and, apes versus the humans. Right. And so that kind of gets skated over. And the it's, more of, a, the it's more of a unified effort to yeah. get there. This is also kind of a thing in battle for the Planet of the Apes too, um, but not as much with, with General Aldo in that. Um, but the, obviously, yeah, that's a big part of this... Um, movie is this idea of there is kind of a 
an argument amongst the apes about should we expand our territory through these very kind of fascist militaristic means that the orangutans and the chimpanzees primarily don't go go along with um freakazoid chimpanzee yeah um <laughs> but that all the gorillas want to do I for, and i want to um, see freakazoid meet the, go to the planet of the apes as well well that would be way more interesting to me than yeah. star trek but anyway um because you can because you know like you can just imagine already what the Star Trek Planet of the Apes version of that is. It's very much writes itself almost. It's pretty yeah. boring, um, personally. No offense to anybody who finds that interesting, but yeah. no. Um, I think it's also but, just capitalizing on the nostalgia people have for both those right. things of that particular cultural right. moment. And they the look, very, and that's what I'm saying. We kind of already did that with this movie, yeah. sort of. That it's like just the a lot of the visuals in it, particularly, are very Star Trek esque. Um, but anyway, so that's that's obviously a big part of this movie is the that kind of militaristic idea, which is uh, between the two that and the uh, you know nuclear war stuff is by far the more interesting. Uh, it had mentioned some people had mentioned that there was some stuff also relating to a lot of the protests that have been happening because there is kind of a protest scene in this movie. I feel like that goes way more in line though with conquest, and we can talk a lot mm-hmm. more about that later. Um, Even a little bit. In- three maybe yeah and even yeah. that um but the, yeah i mean uh so it does kind of focus on certain themes but like we said it's already kind of antiquated i don't feel that the militaristic stuff is because that's very much part of uh that's kind of a vietnam allegory too about yeah. you know america you know going to these places that it doesn't really need to go to take over um but the other than yeah but that's already getting antiquated too at this point and there's a lot of other movies that are doing that so um because, yeah, so, you know, yeah. I think in part inspired by 2001 and this, um, even more so with the Planet of the Apes movie, that the sci-fi of the 70s, the movies, action sci-fi movies then, got very socially conscious in terms of talking right. a lot more about uh, these things in a critical way. Because, yeah, you have like the 50s sci-fi movies we talked a little bit about last week that are like, oh, the threats of like these... Um, things getting nuclear infected, but that's like a very broad kind of yeah. allegory to use to talk a little bit more incisively about militarism and nationalism in their own ways. I think this franchise opened the door to things being louder and louder right. about that. Yeah, and yeah. even in a movie a little bit weaker like this compared to the original, it does still try to do say some things. Right. But again, in the same way that the first one was a little too caught up in having too many metaphors. Like we said, almost the metaphors at work here at this time. Um, it is a little more focused, but it's also a goofier movie even than yeah. the first one, um, which is a strange combination to be more incisive and a little more goofy at the right. same time. You know? yeah. Um, That's the reason why. I think it doesn't exactly work in the same way right. the original movie does. One thing, though, I, and I want to talk about the ending briefly before I talk about one other thing, and then maybe we can go ahead and wrap it up and move mm-hmm. on to the movie. Um about the ending that of course the final kind of voiceover that the movie says and after the whole world explodes is and one of the and it was by of course shouldn't forget paul freeze yeah um who says in one of the countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star and one of its satellites a green and insignificant planet is now dead um so what do you what do you think about that? Because I think there's a lot of things to unpack randomly from that, like 
Well, I guess it's narration. Uh, you know, it's 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 very evocative and it feels very biblical almost. And yeah. It's all, that you know the stuff they quote from the lawgiver it has this biblical quality in the the end of the first movie and it opens the second one right um and it feels like that it's a part of this uh, grand text yet to be written almost a cautionary tale right for people in 1970 watching this of what Earth could do if it doesn't stop tearing itself apart. What are your kind of thoughts? Well, on I think it? that first of all, um. There's multiple things. I, I can go to the most kind of, I wouldn't even say lizard brain or just most basic idea about it is, wait, so are there aliens that live somewhere else, obviously, where it's saying, oh, that insignificant? Because, you know, if you look at, and also this is a very like Dr. Manhattan kind of idea, but uh, a lot of people look at the universe not even assuming there are aliens, right? Mm-hmm. And say, human life is so insignificant, but... I th- and first of all, of course, I think that's total BS because it's like, no, because if that's all there is in the universe, the cold, dark universe, it's like, what's interesting about the universe then? If there's, if no there's nothing life, but yeah. human life, you know, that's just something I've always been like, okay. But yeah, so, you, so you can either look at that in two ways, either that it's saying there is something else out there or there's nothing and that nature by by its own nature literally just doesn't care about that and we'll just move on the yeah. universe will move on um and that also what that's kind of saying you can look at that either in the nuclear war aspect or climate change which is way more what this would be now uh-huh. um is that it's basically just saying well no matter what it's like what george carlin said one time too uh he said something like Oh no, the Earth's gonna be fine. You know, it'll it'll regenerate itself and blah blah blah. Everything will be all right. right. Now we won't be here and we'll be destroyed. But like, it's basically just saying, you know, that no matter how much we can destroy what human, maybe that and maybe that's maybe the point of it too is that no matter how much that the humans humanity can destroy, that nature itself will be unaffected ultimately. Like it's all about how much can we last as the nature destroys us basically like by yeah. by what we have caused um so maybe that's what that means i don't know i mean it's a, it's actually a very evocative ending anyways but i i think about that yeah voiceover a lot about what exactly does that mean you yeah know? um but anyway so that's its own thing but um and we can kind of talk more about that at the end, maybe, when we see it. But one thing I wanted to mention, you looked at this Siskel yeah. review, right? Yeah, Gene Siskel. Which uh, he gave, the, and the movie overall got really pretty negative or what or mixed reviews. This, the title was The Sequel Fails. Yeah. Um, but what I thought was interesting is just, did you look at all this stuff? I actually didn't really, here? yeah. So there's like, on that newspaper page, this was for the Chicago Tribune, um, there are all like these, Chicago would have had tons right, of movie theaters. There are all yeah. these ads for different movies and movie theaters there, and it was just kind of a a, a trip to look at some of this stuff. Patton, mm-hmm. Rand was going on at that time, which, which as we said, was yeah. Shaffner directed, so yeah. it was funny. Um, but you look at all these, Cotton Comes to Harlem, come around that time. My favorite one was The Biggest Freak of Them All, Dr. Frankenstein on Campus. And aside from the fact that it's, you know, people call frequently call the Frankenstein's monster by Frankenstein. This does the opposite and puts the Frankenstein monster in a, like, yeah. uh, graduate outfit with a peace <laughs> sign as a necklace. 
Um, so anyway, MASH, Woodstock, The Grasshopper, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, there's some movies playing different places, Some of the, and it names a lot of these different... Um, pickup. A Russ Meyer movie, Cherry, The Pickup, Airport, um, Beatles, Let It Be, Magic Garden of Stanley Sweetheart, Start the Revolution Without Me, um, Marooned, we were talking about, Fantasia, mm-hmm. um, uh, Rio. But a lot of these, it's like saying like Northwest, West... Cicero, somewhere it said uh, the biograph was on here, I know. I was looking through all these. Mm -hmm. Of all these different things that were playing, it was just really weird to see. Obviously, I knew that things like this existed, you know, but in the world we live in now. Oh, Z. uh, Yeah. That uh, Costa Vargas, is that that guy's name? I think so, yeah. Let me look about that. I want to get that I didn't even notice that, though. That's uh, that's interesting, all those Um, ads. No, that wasn't it. What is that? No, nineteen sixty nine. Yeah. No, yeah, Costa Gav- Gavras. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Gavras, um, who made a lot of random movies, um, like Z and uh, what was that other stuff? Missing. Uh, what was that? I mean, there's a couple of kind of big movies. State of Siege, The Confession. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. But anyway, it's just interesting to look about a lot of these random movies here. Um, Tell Them Willie Boy is here. <laughs> SOS Club, John and Mary, Coronet. Uh, well, it's, a, it's a lot of the same movies are playing, you can tell, but it's just like all these different theaters in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of interesting. I paid more attention to that than I did to the review randomly that he wrote, which was good, but it was just kind of like, okay, move on. But anyways, so... If you ever interested but again, in that, the, that the 1970 that this movie's debuting into is the year of MASH. You know what I mean? Right. And so, um, while this movie is politically conscious to a degree, you got something like that. It's yeah. just a, it's a literally its own atomic bomb. And Dr. Off, Frankenstein you know? on campus. Right. <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you know, this represents, again, as I we said last week, an interesting time, I think, in franchise filmmaking where... The first movie was a huge hit, so it's like, well, let's just rinse and repeat. We'll literally cast a guy who looks like the first guy because the first guy wants to blow us up. Um, and again, I think where this franchise really succeeds is in three, four, and five in terms of how it goes in a whole new direction. Right. And is what sequels should be. It's like we're not just going to repeat the same thing the first one did. We're actually going to do something new with the right. material. So yeah. And, it, and it's an alright enough movie. Yeah. I mean, it has a lot of problems. I haven't seen it in a while, so re-watching it will have more of an opinion on it. But maybe yeah. I'll be at the end and go, no, yeah, this really isn't all that great, which it isn't. I think... But uh, Battle, I think, is probably the worst of yeah. the group. Yeah. And this is a little better because... Just because of the ending, frankly. Yeah. Just allows it so much more leeway to be what it is. Um, but even but, Battle has, like, Paul Williams, which we'll talk about. Fine Feather Jackal. Yeah. yeah, which we'll get so, there. Anyway, I guess you're gonna hear the trailer now and then. Yeah, we'll so we'll uh, we'll take a brief break. You're heal the you're you'll hear the trailer for. But uh, one thing I want to yeah. say before we okay, go into sure. this, yeah, let's I've make let's make this an hour. Kind of We've got one more the minute. Title beneath the Planet of the Apes in terms of like you've seen Planet of the Apes. What about beneath the Planet of the Apes? Just a, as a yeah. movie goer, being like, huh, what's yeah. beneath? Well, that's another I, thing. And just like yeah. a, even in a title, it's like. Finding a way to get you back in the door, right. like you got to find out what's beneath. The yeah, because of the some of the original, we didn't even talk about this. So there was Rod Serling had come on and kind of had some ideas that were basically originally that 
uh, Taylor was going to go find these other humans or some sort of technology and use, yeah. I think. Um, so that kind of ended up being sort of what it is, but I know that would have been a different version. But yeah, the, um, originally there was a version of this called Planet of the Apes Revisited, literally, or something. And it's just weird how they come up with these titles, but anyway. So we anyway. made it to an hour on this intro. There we go. That's so, about one of the shortest ones we ever had. Yeah, so. we'll take a brief break, and again, when we get back, we'll be going beneath the Planet of the Apes. planet where apes evolved from men? There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. Damn you all to hell! The year. 3,955. Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space-wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They are marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth, a planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. Where are you going? Into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Envade! Envade! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want. War or peace? The superintelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants in civilization's final battle to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure half human and half ape? Is it the beginning or the end? I love how much that trailer, by the way, it's, oh, Charlton Heston's back, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, he's back, and then if you look at the starring, it's like, and Charlton Heston at the bottom, right. which should be... Another thing is how much know. it, of course, relied on the first movie, which is something we're going to talk about here in just a few moments about the actual movie. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was rated G. Find that hard to believe, but, yeah. you know, a lot of these were. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Actually, the uh, Conquest was PG-13. They went back and did that, but we don't need to get there yet. No. We're going to have to talk about that later. But yeah. anyway, so... Uh, so, again, it's yeah. rated G. Uh, again, different world back then, oh, yeah. whatever. It would not be today. No. I don't even think it should be now. It should be like PG at yeah. least. Like, yeah. But, yeah. Anyway. But it's also, if you're a kid who's just seeking this out, watching this on your own, and you're seeing something like this, it's just also There's like, well, There's some really you know. pretty gruesome imagery in here, here and there, so, that yeah. I had even forgotten about that was in the trailer, so, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yep. Here we go. So, Alrighty. we're going to hit play. Again, we're watching this off the standard, with well, a box set that, uh, that 20th Century Fox, Fox rest in put peace, out. put yeah. out, um some years ago now uh blu-ray from that we're hitting play in five four three two one but yeah so this movie first of all starts with no fanfare it just has it there one thing i wanted to mention about this of course uh there's certain movies a lot of sequels like to do this uh where they they open with footage from the past movie Like a, a lot of the Universal monster movies were really notorious for doing this, specifically um, the first Mummy sequel. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head now. I feel stupid. Um, the Mummy Unwrapped. No. It, <laughs> let me look. Uh, as far as the, the original, like, yeah. The Mummy's Hand from 1940 uh, spent... Mummy. Or, or wait a minute. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Excuse me. It was the one after that relied on the footage from the mummy's hand. Okay. Um, because that kind of created some new mummies and stuff of Karis, the Karis mummy. Um, so I'm sorry about that. I'm uh, sure the mummy fans out there will forgive uh, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting, again, yeah, it picks up for this footage from the last movie. Yeah, the, mummy's, even, the mummy's Tomb is the film that did that uh, with that, so... The, even the sound of the very first sound we hear yeah. the waves crashing which again was yeah. very iconically the way the last movie ended right you're afraid of me and you hate me so this would be our last chance for a while to kind of enjoy uh, make fun of celebrate whatever Charlton Heston's voice you know, yeah so. again, you know, we've started to see in history of cinema by this point for a while now um, the influence of television on films in terms of yeah. a lot of the some of the big canvas movies of the 50s through the 60s, like we're trying to compete with television to say, oh, look at what we can do that you can't do. This is a good example of like a last time on in yeah, film right. that it's evoking TV in some ways, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of acknowledging that TV is a competing force for audiences uh, yeah. at this point. Well, it's know. important to know also that film serials did that, uh, and, like I said, that version of that happening with uh, The Mummy's Hand yeah. and uh, um, The Mummy's Tomb. So we're beneath the Planet of the Apes yeah. now. But then, yeah, James Francisco's like, wait a minute, why is Heston's not named Top Bill? Yeah. Probably because they're screwing us. Yeah. Where's Roddy McDowell at? He's making Tam Lynn, like, <laughs> or the Ballad of, excuse me. Also, all AKA, yeah. also known as. Um, yeah. 
your boy Paul Richards. There's Paul Richards. <laughs> we don't have time to yeah. explain that. So, it, well, it was Gail Richards actually. Yeah. All the Gail Richards From fans the out America there. Cereal. Yeah, that we haven't even seen. Yeah. But you know, this music especially sounds like 2001 too. The yeah. score, probably copying that, of course. Now we get you know some new Heston right. hair there. I couldn't even remember if they had put this in the movie. Yeah. And they like cut a lot of that yeah. up too. Look at that. <laughs> That's pretty embarrassing. Yeah. But what I love about this is then he gets on a horse and keeps riding. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's real broken up for a while. Right. And he's like, all right, well, yeah, we got to move what, on. That's what's funny about it when you make a seat. It's like the movie ended, there's nothing else after it. And then you have to contend with the fact that you continue on. Yeah. Like, you know. Frankly, it would have been better if we started with this shot and not even yeah. lit it, relitigate any of that. I was just it's like, like, oh, you remember, right? What yeah, happened, like, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I think that's a pretty unforgettable yeah. moment. I don't think I would have trouble with that, but you know, I don't know. People were probably as stupid then as they are now. So everything, yes, yeah, spoon fed, right? So, and again, we mentioned this, I think, a little bit last week that this came out two years after. The original, but every movie after this is a year after. Yeah, and then none yeah. after that for a long, yeah. long time. So, Panavision Deluxe. <laughs> Speaking of other crossovers, imagine like James Bond meets the Planet of the Apes, or he goes to the Planet of the Apes, like Dirty Ape, like you know, yeah. Sean so, Connery, <laughs> Dirty Ape, yeah. Operation Grand Ape, Granddaddy Ape. Or up Pierre Boulet where he stood. I don't even know what he thought of the original, uh, much no, less yeah, I don't this know. or no the continued clue. franchise. Well, I mean, like I said, Paul Dean. Probably got a few checks, so. Yeah. Goldfinger. Overrated movie. I'm going to get. I'm gonna go out there on the limb. Yeah, I mean, we're huge fans of the Connery Bond, but. That's actually the um, worst one of those. Which is crazy to say. Well, there's. Yeah. Obviously, there's. Five, no, a lot of, I know uh, a lot of y'all out there think it's the best. But I know we're huge fans wrong. of You Only Live Twice. Which oh, yeah. Well, that's one of my favorite movies. Almost never gets so. mentioned yeah. as uh, that good of a movie. You're probably though. laughing. Like, are you kidding me? And, I'm and like, we also like Thunderball no, a lot, I'm not. too. And I'm not kidding you. So I think Doctor yeah. Knows the best of that bunch. Yeah, that is um, the best. That's the best Bond movie that's been made. So. Russia with Love. I think that movie's subtly overrated. But yeah, He good. really does look like him coming out no, of I mean, there. Look at him. In particular, in the trailer, and we'll see this later, with him when he's literally wearing the jungle garb, basically. Right. Yeah. Literally, if you turn your head a certain way, you just assume it's Charlton Heston. But, anyways, yeah, Goldfinger's good. I mean, it's fine, but, I mean, Goldfinger got moment. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Also, you know, the thing about that that annoys me randomly is, uh, um, oh, and also, by the way, Don Pedro Colley is actually one of the, uh, mutants in the movie he wasn't uh -huh. one of the astronauts but i just assume, yeah. i'd assume that in memory um but that with um goldfinger there's that moment where he's like drinking don Payon 55 without mm -hmm. ice is like listening to the beatles without earmuffs and i'm just like i can't get over that crap screw you james bond you know well like it's one of those things obviously uh obviously guy of that age and like generation yeah. wouldn't have liked but that, it's just but, like yeah. no like yeah. you're wrong so yeah, I know, I know, but well, uh, looks like we're repeating the same movie. Like, mm -hmm. 
It's also funny that so much of this movie is concerned with time travel, or I mean these movies yeah. are concerned with time travel, that the reboots don't mess with it all, obviously, yeah. because, you know, but. It's funny, too. It's like, oh, I don't know where we are. It's like, and imagine audiences would be like, oh, we got to go through this again. No, I know. Like, it's you, know like, they, yeah. you don't know. I it's don't like, remember it's when a lot like it. TV at this time, you know, where it's just the same old thing. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you just repeat the same crap over and over. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know how they could make Gun... You know, Gunsmoke was like the longest running TV show for a long, long time. How could that be so? I what did know. they do on there? Like, what, what happened on that show? Like, you know... Oh, they threw, was a lot. they threw a lasso around somebody and said, "You're you're a bad guy. Don't come around my. Don't be a cowpoke." And then they threw him in the in the brig, and that was it. You know, that was every episode, like you know. But anyway, yeah, I think like a lot Bonanza's of shows, the same way. Uh, they do have an initial spark in the beginning that is enough to last a few seasons, but then they're just so popular, right? That people are just willing to watch it just because you yeah. know. Burt Reynolds, he was on some of the first seasons yeah. of that. Well, that one thing we didn't mention, that Burt Reynolds was originally going to be this role. Yeah, yeah. Which I, I think that. is crazy. Yeah. Now, he wasn't as big at this moment as he would be very the Deliverance was two years away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just kind of crazy to me that, like, Burt Reynolds would have been in this. But, um, which, you know, whatever. Like, that, that's more, sounds like I'm demoting Planet of the Apes. I'm not demoting Burt Reynolds either, but just that's just strange. But, yeah. Yeah. But like, later no. on, if you would have seen you know Burt Reynolds and Heston kind of fighting each other, I feel like that would have had more weight than uh, yes, Paul like Francis. Now we would, it, you know? and he might have had a, an even bigger career, maybe. Yeah. Than he did, which Burt Reynolds had a really big career, but he would have lended a lot more charisma to this role yeah. than even this guy did. Nothing against Shane Franciscus, but I, mean, I think but having Burt Reynolds, Reynolds is one of had most this kind of ironic you know, spark and self-effacing nature to this right. that that Heston. I mean. Did. The Heston even didn't. I mean, oh, you mean because like, oh, in the okay. sense of like, kind of like, almost making fun of the situation oh, in a light okay. way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, he would be laughing and being like, uh, uh, one of the biggest that. revelations to me, as much as I like Harrison Ford, is kind of watching older Burt Reynolds movies and go, oh, he kind of did that first right. in terms of that Han Solo type, sarcastic, self-effacing character. You know right. what I mean? Bill Murray, even to an extent, but, but. he would have been like. Uh, uh, I buy you new. I buy you new pelt, compete. Right? In, <laughs> in reference to white lightning, yeah. of course. But masterpiece. Buy you buy new dress, compete. By the way, something I want to remark upon now. We'll see it in a little bit. He didn't get struck by lightning and disappear. It was even dumber. He fell through a rock wall. Yeah. <laughs> so, but there was lightning involved earlier. But yeah. Got a shovel. You know, it's interesting, too, to think about this movie that, you know, it got... It was a sequel to the original that, of course, 2001 got its own sequel um, some years after. Um, 2010, was that the name of that? Yeah. Yeah. Was uh, Shatter in that, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, Roy Shatter. I haven't seen it. So, don't plan Kubrick on, had nothing don't to do really with it. Don't really plan on seeing it, either. Did Peter, Arthur, Hi- did Peter Himes direct that? Let me look. Nova. Nova. Yes, he did. Okay. And Arthur C. Clarke, uh, he had written a book 
82 that was its own sequel to 2001 the book of 2001 right. so yeah Kier Dulay is also in that yeah John Lithgow Helen Mirren Bob Balaban probably will see that movie at some point actually but mainly just the cast I'm like okay what are we doing there you know like but and again we go through the whole thing oh she can't talk well, I will say they're speeding through this a little quicker than I remembered, so. Yeah. He's probably daggum smarter than Heston yeah, is. Yeah, he probably is. <laughs> <laughs> Part of that is because... <laughs> Taylor. <laughs> Like, you're stupid. <laughs> and I, I really do think it is a lost opportunity to not have her more be be yeah. more of a character. Right. I mean, here. Well, something also important to note in the uh, in War for the Planet of the Apes. We got a while before we get there, but um, that there is a Nova character that's that little girl yeah. that can't talk either, and she's not all that much of a character either. I mean, you know, yeah. so. She's like, wait, so am I, Taylor? Mm-hmm. If you gave me yeah. the, like... <laughs> Don't get confused. I am now Nova. <laughs> we traded names. I guess they still shot this out in uh, California yeah. desert, I guess. Right. Uh, it, it, that would be a real moment. Like, can you remember in Good Time? Was like, Don't go getting confused. Yeah. It'd be really bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> Some of this stuff's kind of Nouvelle Vogue, the way they're the editing, but... <laughs> the fire. Yeah. <laughs> Love how just nice and shiny the background looks still right. when you look behind the fire. It's not, like, charred. It's like something you see in a samurai movie. Yeah. Thunderclap Newman. elements themselves are turning against him. The fallout has caused this. <laughs> By the way, this is called a cameo role. I'd say this is even more of even a cameo role, though. Yeah. Because even at the end, he's in, well, you know. Yeah, but, I mean, I'd say right. it's a... It's a role. Supporting I mean, performance, yeah. I mean, yeah. But at that time, Yeah. People use the word cameo really strangely. Yeah, it's inconsistently used, yeah. He looks older already, too, you know. I would presume this first film was shot in 66, 67, and this one in 69, so. Yeah. Zero. 
they are, I guess, at least showing she's like understanding things at least, but yeah. still like not letting her talk. <laughs> this whole moment's so dumb looking. <laughs> <laughs> It looked like, like some like Ralph Bakshi like yeah, crap. Like, it looked like you know, some uh, trash in the Lord of the Rings animated yeah. movie. Which, if you're a fan of that, sorry, it's not good. We were spoiled in the sense that we came up being raised yeah. on the Peter Jackson movies, uh, but uh, <laughs> that animated movie was. I'm so fascinated to one day go back and watch the animated series for this, you know. Yeah. That'd be weird. It's like sometimes I forget there was that Star Trek animated series in the 70s as well. Yeah, that's more remembered um, than Planet of the Apes. It might have even lasted longer, I don't know. I don't think it self-lasted all that long, but... Two seasons. When was it on? 73 to 74. Okay. Were they making other shows by that point? No, there was only TOS and then that and then the movie, the motion picture would have been in the late 70s. So it was in the 80s they would have made all those other shows probably. Yeah, the late 80s was when Next Generation started. Okay. But weren't there some shows in between those? No. Oh, there weren't. So. Oh, the movies. The, the 90s, oh, the they made Trek all those movies. shows. The then. 90s was when I think that all Like blew Voyager up. and all that. Deep whatever. Space Nine. Deep Space yeah. Nine, yeah, okay. Never mind. That was all in the wake Shows of Next Generation success. And then they were still making Next Generation movies during that time, too. <laughs> Anyways, I'm not a huge Trek person to go to for knowledge, but... Uh, you're not a Trekkie. Meanwhile. <laughs> but I have aspirations to be a light one one day. But. <laughs> 20 minutes in. He's like, yeah. yeah. Gets there. That one behind him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sticks banging on benches. Look at that. Yeah. Wow. So obviously the chimpanzees and the orangutans are more the kind of intellectual science, yeah. science oriented. Yeah, and the gorillas are the pure soldier brute force class, basically. Well, that also presumes all humans are white, but we're. Yeah. This is a p- private conversation I know we've had, but in the world of the Planet of the Apes, is like, because this is all, as you see in the background, you can see, like you said, the protests, yeah. the people having signs. Is this just in this corner where the apes rule the world, or is it around the world, various right. apes rose up in, like, China, in Africa, in Europe, like, all yeah. across the world, and they have their own versions? Or, and if so, are, are they united on the Confederation of Apedom? Um, yeah, there probably know. are other ones yeah. somewhere. 
This is clearly like North America, like yeah. specifically like New York, even though it was shot out in California and then West. But yeah, what's interesting though is that the Cornelius still looks like Cornelius in this, but yeah. single ape applauding. Yeah. We get it. Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't even have noticed probably that it wasn't Roddy McDowell. It's actually a pretty good job, I have to say. Yeah. But. By the way, we apologize if you hear the lawnmower. Yeah. I don't know if you can even hear that or not, yeah. but somebody outdoors is doing that. So. Because... As we know, even despite Beneath the Planet of the Apes being on, life goes on yeah. elsewhere, <laughs> as it should. So, A holy duty. Our howdy duty. I wonder if they're howdy duty fans. Look at how bad some of this makeup is. Yeah. In the back, it's literally masks. Look yeah. at it. Like, <laughs> looks like they put way more work into the gorillas than they did the chimpanzees or the orangutans. Yeah. Look at that. Mm -hmm. You can see his like white yeah. uh, neck, like if you look, when the way he like. Strains the Ursus Gorilla. <laughs> no, like, I remember them. Yeah. Star of Hellboats. <laughs> Until Rick Dalton came Died. No. <laughs> no, he did. We all die someday. Yeah. <laughs> That's what was, you know, kind of funny about the uh, escape from Planet of the Apes is that in that one the ape makeup still not all that great but probably a little better because they only had three apes they had to do yeah, like, right. you know so yeah that, I, that's probably another reason they went well yeah. there's only so many options of what where they know, can what go can but it's it also saves money in the sense we can just shoot it in present day and it don't have to be these big you know period or fantasy sci-fi sets right. or whatever you know that's a strong man to get shot not make any noise yeah just a flesh wound just a hell boat mm -hmm. <laughs> already almost a third into this movie yeah. by the way because that's one good thing you know about all these sequels they're very short wow yeah. look at that yeah love them at steam bath yeah apes like apes, you know? steam bath <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> I have no memory of this scene whatsoever. <laughs> you can tell they just put like a filter yeah, on right. that too. Yeah. Sorry, we didn't go into this wanting to point out every little thing like like cinema sins or no, everything no, no. wrong yeah. with but but wow, there's a lot of random stuff that's just like I can't believe that. Like, uh, no, we might point out things that, like that, but or we don't intend to be that crowd. Because they are garbage, so. Yeah. And don't really care about movies, clearly, so. Wetting hot boy Zayas. <laughs> but hot, hot, know, hot orangutan summer. There's all know. this stuff about Ursus talking about, oh, we need to go and, you know, do this and that. It's like, as of this point, it doesn't look like there are humans are any real threat to the apes. That the, apes the only are really reason, it worse. yeah, the like, only reason that anything happens is because they go over there. Yeah. Huh. Vietnam War <laughs> allegory? Like. And that's another thing, too, that I think sometimes isn't talked about, is that it seems as though this ape society is on its way to being what humanity was that right. what destroyed itself in terms of this yeah. factionalism and division and militarism, you know? Yeah. Is that Taylor? Oh, wait. Is that you? Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> Even though no. they think he is. They all look alike, I mean. No, it's clearly not. <laughs> like... Planet of D Dirty Apes. <laughs> Zayas Museum. Yeah. Well, you know, the Zayas clan, the Zayas right. family are big contributors, you know. I mean, his grandfather, Herbert Zayas, founded the museum after right. all. By the way, he's at his. He's at his two friends. They, he would probably know that. Wait, where's the fourth one at? The late, the Stewart, the woman. We're not even gonna care about that. But yeah.
one thing that's a fallout, I guess, from the first movie we're not really seeing is that if they were formally reprimanded for their yeah, role in the, uh, that what didn't really happen. Movie. Yeah, but they're still clearly kind of the outsiders of right. society. Well, they were supposed to be put on trial and imprisoned for heresy, yeah. but whatever. It's like, well, whatever, you know. Oh my god! Oh my god! Put the things away. I mean, saying kind of loud. You yeah. Know, but whatever. Look at the way he runs. Yeah. Oh my god! I don't god. remember that at all. Domestic violence. Like. Wow. He's more broken up about, oh, that. Right. Other than, oh, this man's this apes beating his wife. This like. man, yeah. Yes, He's like, what the hell yeah, is going on right. here? Like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, if th- he's like, if you made me nostalgic for the days of Nixon, like... Yeah. <laughs> I wonder where the ape Henry Kissinger is in this. Year. Yeah. It's become a drug fiend. Like. The humans are drug fiends. <laughs> As uh, Paul Servino and Nixon said. He's had sex with, sexual but, relations with his wife in front of the children. He had sees a drink in L.A. <laughs> Talk about Daniel Ellsberg. Yeah. A man's all effed up. <laughs> anyway. No, Paul Servino, he should have been in the remake, you know. Yeah, he would have been a good Zayas. Yeah. Basically the Giamatti role, I guess. Yeah. But then you wouldn't have Giamatti in it. Yeah. So, we're gonna have a Paul. <laughs> Look at I have a child. Halle Berry. <laughs> One of the most disturbing, uh, yeah, acceptance speeches of all time. <laughs> what was that for again? I gotta go. Golden Globe. You know, I know, but yeah. I'm, for what like role he won for, like. Wouldn't shoot him up, unfortunately, I don't think. He's clearly drunk, too. It would be that. Go back. Wait a minute. (laughs) Barney's version. Yeah. Yeah, he said, he said, I'm a little jacked up because I ate five boxes of free Godiva chocolates. 
I just saw Godiva chocolates. Never seen so many Godiva chocolates. And Halle Berry. <laughs> Isn't that weird? <laughs> Barney's version. Never heard of that. Richard Lewis. Is that the Richard Lewis? No, Richard J. Lewis. Okay. Not the comedian. No. Okay. Anyway. I'll have to do the watching him change. Yeah. Like. Pulling his little thing out. T H A N G. It's like I say, other than the, some close-ups, if you just see him in passing, it could easily pass for Heston. Like, yeah. His hair, hair. Yeah, yeah, his hair's a little different. Yeah. It's more manicured than Heston. Yeah. But. No, Heston's literally, I mean, and again, the world of the movie, it would be this, but looks like he literally just, like, woke up and came to set and just oh, yeah. like, oh, I'll, I guess I'll do this, you know, just gotta drive out to Malibu and <laughs> get liquored up. Die, 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 ape, die. Uh oh. I hate when a gunshot takes well, you off a horse. And the horse is dead. Well, Obviously, PETA would have issues with that, and I'm not even trying to bash PETA at all in this, but I wonder what PETA's whole thoughts on the Planet of the X franchise are because it's like got yeah. apes involved. Well, not really even any real apes because either you're talking about people in ape costumes or that would be more applicable uh, to the reboots probably even those are well they're not real but like what what they would probably say is it's promoting animal violence or something yeah yeah, i don't know again i'm not trying to bash people no i'm not either but because a lot of people love to do that wrongfully all the time so you know (laughs) oh we'll do this game again yeah it's (laughs) like so boring like come on I guess, you know, most kids would have just been like, oh, it's like this, but again, you know, like yeah. would have liked this in the day, back in the day. Well, uh, first movie wasn't necessarily made for children, though. Right. Well, as we know, we talked about, kids undoubtedly would have seen it. Oh, yeah. Don took his kid. Yeah, Don Draper. <laughs> I mean, as Roger said, he's like, well, yeah. Well, is that, let me let me here he likes when I do Dr. Zayas like. <laughs> just imagine Roger Sterling going to see this movie this was this like a uh, was that like a demonstration <laughs> yeah or like, you know? training yeah <laughs> I don't know why they necessarily need to train uh, you just do it yeah. you know uh, but whatever that's again why I can't help but think and laugh about thinking about especially these apes on horses that do some of these stunts. Look at them like, yeah, training, stretching, like. basically. <laughs> um, Would have uh, been mostly probably Western act, like mm-hmm. Western stuntmen, but in all this makeup, yeah. it's funny to think about. Like, and they're aggravated. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell is any of this? He wants to smile, kind of yeah. like. Oh, this looks kind of fun. 
Maybe that's their Olympic Games. <laughs> the human Olympic Games. Oh, is that yeah. what? <laughs> In the uh, cage. We're here again. Oh, God. Uh, rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. Now, you know what's funny is like, Earlier in the trailer, they showed this shot, and I literally thought it was from the first yeah, movie. Yeah, it looked like it. You know they wouldn't let them be in here working on humans anymore, right? Yeah. Like... So, Julius not around anymore. He hits to ride to the Frisco. We probably Dagum had brain damage. Yeah, hit on the head. Do that again and I'll break your arm. Kind of. Um, oh, I was thinking about the kid. Uh, what's the? Kid's oh no. Name? Oh, I don't know. Uh, what's his name? Doctor Zayas. This is inexcusable. Yeah. You know. Um. Whatever. No, I was that talking one, about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was talking about the one that was like, if only you knew yeah. what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was his name? That other. Yeah. Double lock. Okay, whatever. Lucius was his name. Yeah, that's right. But what was that other one you said his name was? The Julius. One? Julius. Oh, that's right, yeah. This is a, a real picture of the Julius guy. It doesn't look at all like that. <laughs> He was in Conquest of Planet of the Apes, supposedly. Make the grand escape. Do that again and I'll break your arm. You can tell that's like rear screen yeah. projection right there. <laughs> yeah and then let the friggin horse go wild like craziness taking care of business TCB yeah. <laughs> real heads no yeah man. you can tell they had a wire on his back yeah. and they pulled him off yeah I say, why don't you just take the ape mask off and, you know... You know yeah. Like, oh, wait, that's... Yeah. yeah. Ooh, is this his Indiana Jones moment? Yeah. Pre-Indiana Jones, yeah. I mean... Mr. Jones? <laughs> I'm gonna get away kind yeah. of vibes, you know? Well, I guess he does temporarily. Everybody gets away at the end. Yeah. Or goes away. Yeah, more goes like, away. Yeah. <laughs> Vaporized away. By the way, those uh, mutants haven't been in the movie at all yet. Yeah. It's just like, well, time's ticking. Like, mm -hmm. like yeah, come the kid, on. You just hear the kids like, when are we going beneath? Like, Yeah. I'm sure they didn't give a crap. But, you know.
Well, free riding from here on out. Hey, hey, what are you doing, what you doing over there? I'm gonna sick these men on you. Like, <laughs> Art Carney <Yeah. laughs> in the honeymooners. Like, oh, Ralph, we better go get them daggum, yeah. get them uh, humans over yeah, there. Well, them humans over there need getting. Uh. <laughs> hey, yeah, you tell her, Ralph. <laughs> tell him no, how you like Jackie Gleason, he should have been yeah. Captain Ursus or whatever. Yeah. Some bit. And then, and then, what if Burt Reynolds would have been in this? You know, it's like uh, pre-smoking the bandit. And then would Sally Field have been recast as Linda Linda Harrison's role? He ain't got no time for that crap. Yeah. <laughs> I need a Diablo sandwich <laughs> and a Dr Pepper. And the way he's eating it, and he's like kind of going mm, like that. It's like heartburn to the max. Like you know, like. I'm now just curious how old Jackie Gleason <laughs> lived towards. Like, probably randomly older than his weight. Well, 71. Oh, yeah. A little early. Died in 87. He, he probably drank a lot, too. Yeah. I'm assuming so. And a Dr. Pepper. That's cool, Dr. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a Jackie Gleason bus depot. What? Uh, I, I, I named, uh, I guess, off the honeymoon. Sunset but, Park, Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. He lived in Brooklyn in the show, didn't he? Yeah. Or some app. He's probably from there, too. But. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he's from Brooklyn, New York. By the way, I want to remark upon this. Didn't it seem to you, even though a lot of this was like New York, clearly, that when they went to the Forbidden Zone, it took a while to get there? Yeah. And that now they're like there really fast yeah. in, mm -hmm. New, in the like New York city Oh, because area, uh, like, convenient, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess they were transporting them farther out, and but yeah. Well, and I guess also that the Statue of Liberty would be just a little bit further away. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if the water was drained, I don't think it would take that that long to walk from, like, Manhattan Island to El you know, Ellis Island, though. What's funny but, is now this is what teenagers would think of seeing a uh, telephone like right. uh, booth. You know, it's like, what is this ancient technology? But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be that far, to, but whatever. It is still somewhat shocking to me. I know everybody's got cell phones now, but how quickly it seems as though uh, telephone booths are, have went by the wayside. You never really yeah. see one out in the wild hardly at all anymore. Even landline phones are yeah. going down. Just looks in the background like it says Greensboro. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, this is his moment of realization. Yeah. His version of that. Like, it still takes about halfway through the movie to yeah. go. Yeah. 
New York is a summer festival. <laughs> Did you know that? Heard about it. Panting. Painting. Panting. Pantaloons. What the this specific area? <laughs> Pantaloons Express. He needs some pantaloons right now. What are you talking pantaloons? What are you talking about that for? I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know where that came from. Because <laughs> you said it a couple times, and I'm like, wait, what? Pantaloons. <laughs> we nuked the world, like yeah. I don't know. It's probably climate change, actually. But <laughs> well, right now we just saw. We were talking last night about New York City subways had all that flooding. Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile. But yeah. Zayas is like, I don't know who's worse. Like, he's, you got these hippie scientists that are doing yeah. You got these uh, dirty humans talking. You got the crazy gorillas. Like, yeah. you know, I think if you were to write like a Planet of the Apes novel, actually putting it from Zayas's perspective would probably be the most interesting yeah. perspective to put it through in terms of his sense of self-righteousness, but also his own consternation and frustrations at, you know, yeah. events. They got a flag. Yeah. Why would they need that? Yeah, <laughs> just to let people know. Who? Anybody there? Yeah. Like, other than the humans underground. We got our uh, eight peace nicks here. He looked at him. <laughs> Looked like he was going to shoot in the air, like, do it quietly, and then he does yeah. that. But... Shot gorilla like cinema, brutality. Cinema verite. Yeah. Here, like... Gorilla brutality. Agab, you know? Yeah. All gorillas are, you know? Yeah. What? <laughs> well, you know, I feel like this is good that it's doing this, but it would do stuff like this even more aptly and... Uh, yeah. Conquest, yeah. but you know. So did do they just have all these like prison carts sitting around I guess, everywhere? Yeah. Like, That's like one of their biggest industries, I think. Yeah. There is like building prison carts. You know. Wow, <laughs> can't believe it. I love the different faces. Like some of them, that mouths are open. I guess. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh, like do it again and I'll break my jaw. Do like, it again and I'll uh, like yeah. You the cannon, you know, we're bringing the yeah. cannon with them. Artillery. 
Well, they have guns like that, but not really any much else, mm -hmm. you know. Ain't got napalm. Oh, look, my arm's already fine after like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> It's like the movie remembered he was in it and was yeah. like, oh yeah, we need to go over there. Yeah, I do love, and it's probably because the first movie did spend so much time doing this, but you know, Taylor spends a lot of time, I feel like, shocked by this and all that. And here with Brent, he's just like, yeah, wow, crazy. Anyways, let's just go on, like move forward, yeah. you know, like, which again, part of that's the audience. Like, yeah, it's not that crazy anymore that the apes took over. So. Yeah. He's all Godardian, like we need less language. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, in your case we do. Like what a stupid thing to say. Yeah. Like Now Godard, he should have had a crack at the point of the X franchise. Because you know what happens when you don't have language and not the the only other for way of expression is force. Yeah. Like physical force and that's a whole lot worse. That's one so. thing we need way less of. Yeah. yeah. If they would literally turn and look mm -hmm. for like two seconds, 30 degrees, yeah. they would see that there's a cave. Somebody got a Hummer down there. Mm -hmm. Got a Hummer in it. As opposed to him in it, you yeah. know. Humming continues. In the event you believe humming stopped, slow your roll. What really is beneath the planet of the apes? more apes I don't know. Mm -hmm. beneath monkey planet yeah you know what they should have called this sequel was return to monk you know yeah return to monkey planet yeah cause that you know hate memes that meme, the return to monkey, is it's technically monkey, but yeah. it has an E. It's like, no, it's return to monk. Yeah. Like, if you don't have the Y, like, 
I see the dumbest thing, <laughs> the way these people are, these stupid kids nowadays, mm-hmm. of which I'm about the same age, but they're a whole <laughs> lot dumber than I am, um, is they just take letters off of stuff and think it's the funniest thing ever. It's yeah. like a five-year-old can do that. Like, you know, what a juvenile thing to do. Like, <laughs> It's so funny to me how mad it makes you. I mean, you're yeah. absolutely right it's about just it. Like, it's just so like, stupid. Yeah. Like, it's retur- No, it's not return to monkey. It's return to monk. I don't care if there's an E there. The E is silent in that case. Because like. what's funny about Return to Monkey? Return to Monk is way funnier. Mm. Memes are stupid. They're, they're, I mean, they're going to erode society. I'm, I'm telling have, you. They already personally. have. Like, oh, you said the same thing about TV. I didn't say the same thing about TV. I said the thing about memes is what yeah. I said. So... But in their own way, aren't memes an extension of television? Deep, deep down. Deep. I mean, yeah, but screw it. Like, for many, memes are but a democratization of uh, you know the powers that be. Some would say. Don't worry, I know that memes, there'll be something far dumber than memes sometimes. It's part of the grander so. degeneration, you know. Yeah. I'd be funny if, like, they're finding old things like ancient memes, like, on yeah. the walls or, like, you know. That's an inevitable aspect about a lot of these era of sci-fi movies when it's depicting the future and, like, you know, this this for some people hurts their enjoyment or ability to watch them I think you're kind of dumb if this is the case but yeah. it's like oh well that ain't what the future really look like it's like it's more you know the future depicted in movies of this era are more is more analog and well, a lot like, less why would digital you, why would you know what based, it would look yeah. like it's the future nobody knows what it is that really just tells you more about the time period itself yeah. it was made in than it does the supposed well this is what 2001 was quote supposed to be right. whatever It's like, you know, the Rod Taylor uh, time machine. Yeah. But the future in that is just, you know, so bizarre. It's kind of like this, but even weirder. Radio City Music Hall. This is probably the most interesting section of the movie, just seeing this stuff. Yeah. Where most of the money went, I guess, making these sets. Yeah. Oh, is that that humming that's still going on? Mm-hmm. I thought it was the music for a second. And I was like, oh no, it's, it's, yeah. They heard. They heard I was talking about it. Oh, But that's fresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why would you even try? Yeah. Probably radioactive anyway. Yeah, if he would have lived long enough, he probably would have gotten some sort of mutative cancer or something. Yeah. But, oh, well. He's not long for this world, thankfully, no. so. 
in terms of his own health. Right. You know, like, I'm yeah. looking out for him. Right. And I say that, you know. He ain't going to have to worry about it. Looks like the rock's peeing. Yeah. <laughs> you going to try it now? I guess this water's fresher. Yeah. Well, it's probably coming out of the earth somewhere. Yeah. So the plumbing still works, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> when he realizes he's not going to be in the sequel. Yeah. We realize he just lost his part on Hellboat. So yeah. To Rick effing Dalton. Right? <laughs> well... I forgot about this whole telepathic power yeah. bit. It's a bit. Yeah. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah. They could have even used this as an opportunity to, like, telepathically they allow her to talk or to be yeah. articulate now, you know? Like, but, uh, Once again, the train left the station. Oh, well. We only really have, like, 30 minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is a movie that we'll, like, we'll probably say this later. What is it ultimately? Yeah. In the end, it's like it's very, we're just now getting to yeah. this stuff. Like you know, uh, it feels like, like a script that was being made up as it went along. There was no real yeah. understanding of where the architecture of the story is supposed to be going. Yeah, you know, it seems like they made it for money. Maybe. The big one. I reveal my inmost self unto my God. Do what? Mm -hmm. What you mean, boy? Listen, boy. Electronic beep. Talks and nods and riddles. Huh? They look like, uh, you remember that scene in uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Mm -hmm. Where they have to wear those white yeah. 
things when they're in that like whatever yeah. room and like, it looks like that. Okay. What a bunch of freaks. Yeah. I thought the apes were bad, but... These proverbial jackals are literally worshipping yeah. a freaking nuke. The freaks of years past, you know? The subterraneans. Yeah. The mysterians, if you will. <laughs> If you will. Evidence, if you will. Dusty Rhodes, you know, he should have been an ape or somebody. Else. If you have documents, if you have photos, if you have clues, if you have evidence, if you will. Fair question. When your group's small but crazy. Yeah. Really, why don't y'all just talk? I mean, yeah. There's our boy. Yeah. So all these are, uh, these people look alike. <laughs> oh, they're like that sounds insane. Like y'all yeah. can literally telepathically speak to each other mm -hmm. and worship a bomb, yeah. and you're gonna tell me this is ridiculous? Like, yeah, a slippage. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, big I moment. remember. Big moment. <laughs> Come here, you freak a leak. Yet I am the freak of the They didn't come up with a better name than that, you know. Ape City. Wait, wait a minute. Not like Simeonville or something. Gorilla Grove.
you have any brochures? I'm thinking about taking a trip. Do you know any good hotels in the area? The Ape City Inn. You know a good restaurant or hotel on the island? Like... <laughs> Huh? Do what now? You're an oxymoron if I ever heard of one. Oh, that's that Jeff Corey guy, yeah. Yeah. In this way, you know, these humans having these powers it's not all that different from Marvel Comics at the time you know because right. the Marvel Comics characters got their powers from radioactivity in the 60s yeah oh yes this one still contains emotion Divine bomb. I think that was the working title for Cleopatra. Well, I'll help nobody. Divine bomb. Oh, the. Okay. Not really. Yeah. I, well, I knew that, but you didn't have to tell me. What a freak! You know. <laughs> What was his credited name again? Uh, it's like Guido de Fatso. Yeah, or basically like the fat man. Yeah. yeah. What's her name? Little boy. <laughs> Guido de Fatso. <laughs> That was a name used several times and once upon a time in Hollywood by um, Rick to like represent the stereotypical Italian director right. type that he didn't want to work with. the European art film section of the mm -hmm. movie had to have a little bit of you know, yeah. influence not as much as the first one I would say but 
<laughs> no, he's not. Like, why don't y'all have it out? You don't like each other, you know. We're just visitors, you know. <laughs> Our listeners listening yeah. to these yeah, episodes of the apes. <laughs> He could have said that a little earlier. Yeah, of course this time, movie, but you know, of course this movie has very little of the apes in it. Funnily enough, is there, yeah, but you know, it'll be hot. Oh yeah, wearing all that. Like we said earlier, why do they feel the need to take these flags with them? I don't know. Well, I do remember this being a big action scene here at yeah. the end, so... Yeah, I had forgotten about this whole moment until we saw it in the trailer. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see more about that in the fifth movie. Mm-hmm. kind of love that there's no explanation for how that would happen just like you know the pure imagery of it's just yeah. well like they said it's the, you mean literally in the plot yeah, of the movie yeah like yeah the narrative why that would bleed well i don't know you mean what's happening literally right now or like why that statue would literally bleed blood 
Probably shown that it's like mortal or something. That's what I'm saying. I just like the visuals of it. It doesn't necessarily need an explanation. Yeah. But obviously the whole point is that that's all not really there because they're using that, their visual deterrent, they said, or whatever. Oh, that's right. That's why this is happening. Because this wouldn't just happen. I mean. Yeah. That makes sense. They're using it telepathically. I had forgotten that that was one of their oh. magical powers. Imagine being a kid and going to see that. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, <laughs> this is G, remember? Yeah. Why I gave some kids nightmares. Well, they also are, yeah, oh, they're so stupid. Now we're screwed, like, no, I guess it's that they're smart enough to realize it isn't real, like, inbreeding idiots, you know, know, like, inbred freaks. Infants. They have infants, I mean, of course they would, but, not even children, like, you know. Horses are dancing. Yeah. If this franchise would have went long enough, it'd been the horses would have rose up and you yeah. know, put the apes and the humans in their place. It's like we've been right, been ridden by y'all for years and years and years. Like we're sick of it. Like playing of the ho- Bojack Horseman, you know. Looks like the background of the Mortal Kombat. Yeah, three uh, <laughs> choose your yeah. like novice or whatever. Yeah. Like. Of course, this is interesting in the sense of. It's very obvious, but of like, you know, conservative Christian right wing America's like fundamentalist at the time worshiping war and thinking it's a godly thing. Endeavor, you know, yeah. Right. People that are still that way, so mm-hmm. Kryptonite or something. Yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's a weapon of peace. Like it's like a bullet. big bullet case. Yeah. Yeah. Gold, I mean, Goldfinger yeah. bullet. Like. Man with the golden Alpha Omega bomb. Yeah. Almighty and everlasting bomb, who came down among us and commenced heaven under earth, 
Let me show you how delusional they are that they're really thinking this bomb is their god, basically. Yeah. She's all finally got some clothes. Yeah. This is all so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> what if we all did this in church on Sunday? Yeah. Just pull our faces off. Mm -hmm. Yum yum. Eat them up. Like, whoa. <laughs> uh, Y'all need to see a dermatologist. Thing. Like, right now. The bomb created you? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I guess it did. So. I love that they're still reading off the little hymnals. <laughs> yeah. Like, they don't know the And those songs. papers look like they've, you know, were made just yesterday, not right. like traveled down from generation to generation. The fellowship of the holy I mean, fallout. These, these, um, this makeup looks pretty good too. You know, yeah. freaky as it looks. Better than a lot of the eight makeup. Yeah. Just think about this. Just see this image. This mm -hmm. is a sequel to Planet yeah. of the Apes. If like, you just you showed know? that somebody and said that, they'd be like, "What?" You can hope, but yeah. Like, nah, we His, got got uh, this shadow there. Let's rock this joint. You know, the mask <laughs> once told us. Son of the mask. I don't know what he's Yeah. <gasps> Another white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Dude. Ape City. He was just standing there the whole time. Yeah, you'd time. think they wouldn't want to put the two right. people who can talk and communicate together, but... To 
but they're going to make them mm-hmm. do it. He can do two people at the same time. <laughs> He's trying to yeah. choke him. <laughs> wow. Some of the best acting of Heston's career. Taylor still proves he's top dog, I guess. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking. Yeah. But that was another stipulation of what being in this movie. I got to win the fight. Yeah. But he has to be given a weapon. Yeah. To make it like fair, yeah. it's like okay. Hit it long enough, he'll be able to break out. Yeah. She knew what to do. <laughs> Resumes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Resumes, what? <Yeah. laughs> All right, go get your resume and then come yeah. back. I'll have to check it again. Do, they, do you have a cover letter? Yeah. Like, what's Brent? So your references have like? been dead for 2,000 years. Oh. Yeah, I forgot she did finally say something. I, <gasps> this. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Rest in peace. I was thinking she then I was started thinking I was like she said something in this at some point but man. She learned one word anyways. No, we gotta look at that, you know. Yeah. So she did say one thing at mm-hmm. least. A little too little too late. Though. Yeah. And all it is is a man's name.
We have like 10 minutes. Like. <laughs> oh, God. I am the Omega Man. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, I am the Omega Man. Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> They're going to know here in a minute. No, it's like he was watching them. Like. Yeah, I'd... This would be my first. If this were my first time watching, I'd be rooting for the apes to succeed at this point, just because these yeah. hum, these mutant humans are so annoying. A subterranean passage. That's a whole question. I guess we could get into with. I think more with the uh, new trilogy of. In a lot of these situations, do you root for the humans or the apes to succeed? You know what I mean. Usually the apes, because that's the intent of the movies. Yeah. Too. Um, I think in Dawn, I, I'm still partially rooting for the humans by the war, though. It's just like, no, like, <laughs> apes. Um, de and not really in Rise, either, that I'm rooting for the humans. But there's, like, some of the, ja you know, those Jason Clark humans yeah. that are going around. Which they kind of help the apes, though. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah. But Gary Oldman in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I typically root for the apes because that's usually the end. They're they are the protagonists. So, why did they close the door back? You know. Mm -hmm. But then you know the apes you see in the first and first movie and then this one as well are in many ways emulating uh, the very type of barbarism that they yeah. put the humans down no, for. Is, you know. Yeah. But these humans are just so. No, that's what I'm saying. It's yeah. like. Nobody's right yeah. in, in any of it, so. Yeah. It's all the big war. <laughs> wow. Peekaboo. It's a, a dead gun war. I ain't gonna get away. I'm gonna rid myself of this cage. You got his ooga booga stick with him. Yeah. We're going to have two more on the wall there, yeah. <laughs> Already taking prisoners? Like, mm -hmm. Why would they even take prisoners? Yeah. Any more humans to feed? Like, 
Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Play the hits. <laughs> I mean, you dirty. <laughs> Rest in peace, Nova. Yeah, I forgot. This is what kind of sends him to that final right. place of outright destruction. It's like when you've got a wild card in Uno, and you're like, "When do I use it?" Like, you know, a plus four. You know? Yeah, you have three of them, and yeah. you're like, mm, "Like the things I do." <laughs> I mean, I think the whole situation is kind of obscene when we get down yeah. to it, but you know, whatever. <laughs> What's so obscene about it, anyway? Yeah. Particularly, like, you know. <laughs> The fact that they're capable of such articulation. It was interesting from far away. It looked like a uh, statue with a wig on yeah, it. Yeah, her arms. Looks uh, like. Uh, some kind of wow what a freak sculpture you see this is what more of the movie needed to be yeah but I guess the rationale behind the worshipping of this nuclear bomb for these humans is that you know such a weapon or device beget the life as they know it. That's and so what that's I was gonna saying deliver earlier them, yeah. when they were saying the we were created by the bomb. Yeah. It's like literally saying what we are yeah. is because of this. Like, I kind of realized yeah. it when I was laughing about it. Yeah. <laughs> what I love too, those him and Ursus, they very much understand one another. It's just like. Yeah. One of us will die. Like there is, you know, there's no reconciliation to be had. No. One or all. That's the end of that. Yeah, that's definitive, I think. Like, all right, let's go look at it and poke it. Yeah. Like. Well, Heston thinks of, or Taylor thinks of Zaya. Oh, that, that orange orangutan is back. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I know him. <laughs> Just trying to throw a rope up. <laughs> Look like some shots from Young Live Twice. Yeah, so. yeah. Let's take it back for a souvenir. Put it in a human museum. The soundtrack's just all over the place yeah. at this point.
and the young buck is making his move. Whoops. I bet you will. <laughs> Dissonant chords. Yeah. This is just everybody dies yeah. scenario. I mean, and then those who don't, right, we are going to yeah. very quickly. He's like, "What? Oh, how far we've come, you know? Our relationship." Wow, <laughs> that is some D-E-D you are dead. R.I.P. to Brent. You. <laughs> Not quite as iconic as his no. other, you know, but it, iconic in its own way. This, but this is ultra iconic yeah. right here. Loud rumbling. I mean, you gotta say, you know, some of the greatest last words ever uh, on Taylor's yeah. part there, you yeah. know. <laughs> the so last words go. ever spoken by man. Yeah. You know? But wait, there's yeah. more. Um, it's interesting too that with Kim Hunter was bar first of all barely in the movie of her and Cornelius just aren't ever in it again after a point. Yeah. And that they were like, oh, we got away in the second and the yeah. next one. Yeah, because that's the that's the thing is how will they make another one? Well, yeah. Tune in next week. Yeah. Look at that. Don Pedro Colley literally credited as Negro. Can you believe that? Sadly, I can for yeah, 1970. Bad, like, though, yeah. That's just ridiculous. Disgusting. But, <sighs> but again, I love uh, yeah. no wave sound even with this. It's just yeah. like nothing, you know. Very dark, twisted ending for an otherwise forgettable rope kind of movie. Yeah, you know? but that's a uh, pretty nothing movie, but yeah. There yeah. we go. But again, how will we make a sequel? Well, tune in next week for 1971's Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Now, headed into this one, what are some thoughts or things to think about for you when it comes to this um, next movie? Well, of course, its uh, premise is that Cornelius and Zira and another ape character um, is randomly played by Sal Minio. Yeah, I always um, forget that, yeah all get in this uh, spaceship and leave and then they get to they go through a time warp thing too and go back to like 1970s America mm -hmm. and they, everybody's like oh you're these apes that talk like you know it's almost the, the opposite yeah. of these movies and it's kind of interesting but 
I remember it being pretty good, but I'm interested to rewatch it and see what I really think of it because it's I pretty think, goofy. I think we um, can at least say it's better than this one, yeah, even in it memory. Would be, yeah, um, because it's at least trying to do something and, and, different. Yeah, and again, it um, takes it in a different direction. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of the kind of socio-political ideas and that are tied up in this kind of uh, unfortunate exotica of, yeah. of other races and classes and in that sense of, you know... A lot of you know civil rights going on at the time, and the way that um, even like African Americans in relation right. to advertising as yeah. popular symbols at that right. time, and e- which and something even, like Putney Swope explores. Right, in its own and way, even but. before that, the idea of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King being people of like, um, for lack of a better way to describe it, whites seeing them as oh, they're they're some of the if not the good ones at least like oh they can. They can uh, be orators and do this, and it's like, yeah, I mean, they're human beings, you know. But like, I feel like this movie is hinting at the way that a lot of that happened in the '60s and '70s. This kind of uh, cult of fascination around otherwise totally normal people that are just trying to, you know, say something about how downtrodden they have been, but. And I feel like that's ultimately what the political message of that movie is, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. And and like you said, also in the more basic sense of African Americans, as like you said, advertising symbols, um, and and kind of these cults of personality, very strangely, that at that time. Sure. Um, but yeah, and that's mainly what that movie's about. Um, but it's really weird because it's like there's like sections in the movie almost where it's like let's give you a makeover and like stuff like that that's really weird is like yeah. apes living in normal society from the future or whatever um but it's a very strange it's a really strange movie but it, it's pretty interesting and again so, i really like that it takes it in a yeah. different direction if nothing else and again three four and five feel especially of a piece together yeah. i think one and yeah. two you can kind of put in a Right. box together in three four and five kind of yeah, in because it box. starts in a new timeline of sorts like i said it's interesting how these really do play with time travel um these movies and yeah the, it does that from the very beginning but that it kind of continues to do that and like we said the uh the reboots don't do that at all so um but anyway so that'll be a better movie if you didn't like this one but um yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know it. we weren't planning on doing this. I'm kind of springing you on this. Okay. I, this is a thought I just had. But um, I, it would be... I just said Putney Swope out loud. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I couldn't help but think of two big film losses that we had over the past week. Um, Robert Downey Sr. as well as Richard Donner. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be, I think, just a good little opportunity to just to mention and yeah, talk sure. about each of them. Let's start with Robert Downey Sr. first because I think he's the name that more people weirdly would be most associated with more because of his son than anything yeah, else. Right. Um and it's one of those things, you know, growing up I'd always heard of Robert Downey Jr. and there's an implicitness uh, to that. And, of, yeah. About oh well and, he's there's a scene. I remember yeah. seeing him in like um some movies like US Marshals and I know he was even in some of the later Hughes stuff in the eighties, yeah. I know. And he was uh, people always forget he was actually a random like one season cast member of SNL actually junior a brief time. You're junior about. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah and senior then, was not I think it when I was getting a little older when I'd seen you know Zodiac and Iron Man around that time when he had made the, his quote comeback that it really kind of dawned on me like okay if he's junior who's the senior you know because right. that always implies that there's yeah. somebody else that's important um, 
It wasn't until a few years ago where we actually brought the um, Criterion Eclipse set yeah. of, uh, I think it's called like Up All Night with uh, Robert Downey Robert Sr. Downey Sr. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is like Babo 73, Chafed Elbows, Putney Slope, and two tons of turquoise at Tau tonight. Yeah, I guess. What's the name of that? Are those, um, is there another one in there? I don't think so. I think it's just I'm those pulling four. up this list. And I think, you know, there were some other movies he made that we haven't seen. Oh, No More Excuses. No that more was excuses. the other one. Yeah. Um, and we watched those together and, of course, laughed and had a great yeah. time with them. Um, what about Robert Downey Sr. to you sticks out, I guess, as a filmmaker uh, that makes him unique as, as specifically this independent voice? Well, obviously, I think he's very much a part of the um, beatnik culture of yeah. the time. Of like, uh, There's a movie that... Um, we watched in film school uh, that is probably the most beatnik film ever made called Pull My Daisy um, that had like Allen Ginsberg and I think Jack Kerouac like narrated it. Uh-huh. Totally awful yeah. short film. is like really terrible. It's really annoying and stupid. Um, another kind of version of movies like this though that I also think of that was an Eclipse series was the uh, Norman Mailer yeah. um, movies which I own that one. Yeah. The Eclipse series they did that and you own the, and this one the uh, senior one. Um, but they're just really, you know, low budget, mostly people talking in apartments in New York City, especially those Norman Mailer movies. But these uh, don't, are not all that. But um, obviously what's interesting about these senior movies is he has kind of this group of actors that he works with a lot um, and are pretty much always in his movies. Um, and that... Uh, it gets a sense of just like, you know, really living on a prayer. Like, yeah. we're barely making these. Nobody's seeing them. Yeah, they were mostly uh, being shown as like these underground cult oddities in New York City specifically. Yeah, and it was and, like uh, mostly in the early 60s yeah. through the 60s. But, the, um, I mean, you know, obviously John Cassavetes is his own version of this too with Shadows that he made. It's very much a yeah. beatnik movie too. Um, but that... He had when, at least his like... Hollywood celebrity right. of sorts and he to was leverage actor, to make those right. things. But Downey Sr. was just this right. total... But that's what I was going to say is that everybody dark. calls yeah. John Cassavetes the father of independent film, which in some ways I'd still agree that in some ways he is. Um, but Robert Downey Sr., I mean, holds a very particular place in that too of uh, just making very, very weird... Um, out there, strange movies that f- thankfully people are getting to see now... Uh, Putney Swope, I guess, was kind of his, obviously his biggest movie, um, and he tells that whole story when he's talking with Paul Thomas Anderson, who's a big fan of his, obviously, that, about, uh, barely getting that movie financed and out there that he was so prickly that he almost ruined the movie as far as not getting it shown about just... The guy who bought it, he initially treated like a scumbag and was like, whatever. He's, like, he's, oh, like, he's late. Who cares? Like, I don't want to yeah. let him in. What's the most successful film you've made? Putney. Thank you. I think so, yeah, because that really got distributed. Were you making an effort, too, to sort of make a, a slightly more uh, uh, normal? <laughs> you mean Putney Swope? Yeah. No. In fact, nobody wanted that film. Right. I mean, the other ones at least got in the bleaker street. People said, what? Uh-uh. Right. And the producer, the money guy, had one more screening for some distributors. And just as the film was ready to start, this guy was banging on the door of the screening room. And I said, fuck him, he's late, whoever he is, mm. you know. 
And he bang, 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 I went to the door and I said, who are you? And he said, I'm Don Rugoff. And I said, so? And he said, I know I'm late, but I'm sorry. And so he came in. And after the screening, he came up to me and he said, I don't understand it, but I like it. And he opened it like a month later because uh, he owned the theaters. And when they brought that ad out with this, mm -hmm. that went up all over the city and it had, had some action. But Putney Swope, um, as a matter of fact, my, uh, a good friend of mine uh, has been sending me uh, p videos from that movie today because he's been watching it um, for the first time, actually. Yeah. Um, and, the, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I think like we've we've said, uh, I don't think we said this on here, but we also recently watched the Watermelon Man, um, yeah. the uh, Melvin Van Peebles film, and that both of those are kind of operating on similar um, wavelengths. wavelengths. But what's interesting, of course, about Senior is, of course, that he's not black and that he's making movies about civil rights issues that I think are pretty right on. I mean, the, you know, for, even for a white person at that time, he seems pretty you know in the zone as yeah. far as that um and that they still stand up as that relatively i mean of course there's certain things about them that are you know one thing about it i think is really strange about putney swope that uh is that he re-recorded that um the voice the, of the voice of that main actor who was in rocky i can't I remember his name here, so i feel bad because I, I want you to look it up but anyway like re-recorded that voice um and I don't really know why he did that. Um, Arnold Johnson. Arnold Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of strange, but um, and of course it should be said that you know Putney Swope is his biggest movie, but he made those other movies too, and Greaser's Palace, which we haven't seen, but are wanting to try to see sometime soon. It's actually pretty weird that he uh, that Robert Downey Senior just died because uh, on the Criterion Channel they have just kind of put up a whole kind of you know series of his movies just re just recently before he passed at the beginning of the month so it's kind of strange that he just happened to die around that i was just looking and said that in the 85 86 twilight zone he actually directed three episodes of that probably oh, okay. senior did um but yeah so uh i mean robert downey senior is one of the most uh i even hesitate to say idiosyncratic because there were other people making movies at that time like that well, you know, some of the, like he was said, ahead of the curve though, in a lot of culture, ways. Like, but yeah. I feel like he has had a pretty random influence on a lot of filmmakers. One of the biggest ones of those being Paul Thomas Anderson, obviously, and um, and other people that make very kind of you know political and uh, outsider movies. I feel like he's one of the the biggest people. Yeah, for I mean, that. Um, just to interject a little bit. Putney Swope. I mean, if if anybody had to watch one of his movies, that's the one I would say to watch. Yeah. Um, that's his take on kind of Madison Avenue and the advertising of the. 60s um but also babo 73 is pretty strange and funny i would say no more excuses i quite like that's a combination of like documentary and yeah uh has a whole thing about a time traveling civil war soldier yeah and who he, like showed he, up at the yankees right, game he, and he's it like was senior yeah. dressed up as a <laughs> confederate soldier went to the yankees game and he got boot it actually got in the newspaper in new york and he like put it in the movie right like, yeah. and yeah um and it's it. weird because it's clearly him you know that yeah. it is but and i like chafed elbows I, I don't think you were as big a fan as that as i was it's all right yeah. that was that movie where it was mostly static photography that's edited together yeah. um which was really weird but um 
And two but, yeah. tons of turquoise at Taos and I it was clearly the weakest. I don't even remember those, what that know. movie was about. It was just kind of all over. But the I mean, place, he's but, a good yeah. example of somebody. If you're an experimental filmmaker, you're going to have some misses. I mean, right. you're not always going to be on it. Yeah. And something like Putney Swope is about as incisive and I mean, brilliant as he ever got. Yeah. And something like two tons of turquoise at Taos and I, it's not. You don't hate watching it, but it is very much more of a chore. Well, and, and also disposable. A, in a lot of people way. would. A lot of people who were like, you know, really pretentious would chafe at this, but it says something when, you know, your best movie is your most commercial, you know? Yeah. Um, now, that movie is clearly not a commercial yeah. film, but it says something, though, that usually when somebody who plays around, for lack of a better term, in the gutter for so long mm-hmm. and makes all this weird stuff that eventually when they get to their that thing... Mm-hmm. You know, it's clearly the best because it has a definitive message. It has more of a definitive statement. Like, for example, last night, and I wouldn't even say play around the gutter, but Guy Madden, we watched the saddest music in the world last mm-hmm. night, which I really, really yeah, loved really good, a lot. Yeah. And we've seen Archangel and Careful before this. And they're great in what they are in the sense of that they literally look like nothing else. They're right. totally their own thing. They literally look like movies that have have been lost and been found yeah. like from the silent era a yeah. lot of the, or the or the early talkies but that the saddest music in the world succeeds more than those other two movies does because it has more of narrative value more precise thematic construction yeah so as much as i love a lot of art house weird outsider cinema it goes to show that when you use that utilize that and actually saying something that's when you've really got something on your hands. I'd say even the same case with um, John Waters and Polyester is an example as far as like his other movies are fine that I've seen, but that has a far more definitive statement than his other movies do and is way more political. So that's a random place to go with all that, but just to say that, yes, uh, Robert Downey Sr. were fans of, but his, if you're going to watch one, definitely watch Putney Swope. Yeah, um, but, uh, and again, uh, uh, of course, his son... Was one yeah. of the biggest movie stars of uh, the past so many years. I mean, um, but one of the most charming things too. I know a lot of these are on YouTube, so if you're just curious who, yeah. who this guy is and what he sounds like, there's some really charming little videos that are on the Criterion DVDs for those releases of him sitting with Paul Thomas Anderson and kind of watching um, some clips from his movies and kind of just giving a little bit of background. And there's a few points he's like, "What the hell is that?" And he, yeah. <laughs> he don't even really remember what he's watching and right. like. And it's just very charming, yeah. and I, again, I, I really love what I've seen of Robert Downey Sr., true visionary, true pioneer. Yeah. Um, And just a few days before that, Richard Donner, who's a name that I think is much more well-known yeah, right. than um, um, Downey Sr. passed away. Um, Just to run through some of Richard Donner's credits really quickly, Um, his first huge thing that he really got to be known for was The Omen, mm-hmm. 1978. Superman, um, and then a little later, very famously, The Goonies, all of the Lethal Weapon movies. Um, Scrooge. Scrooge, Maverick. I mean, he did a little bit of everything in terms of genre-wise. Yeah. Also, tons of TV even before that. Um, the DuPont Show with June Allison. Wow, really? Well, he, that. It so, all comes back around. Route 66, he did an episode yeah. of Man from Uncle. Of course, he also co-created Tales from the Crypt yeah. along with Walter FBI, Hill. And, he did an episode yeah. of... In that whole the round. banana splits adventure hour, he did six episodes of that. Yeah, wow. What about Richard Donner for you? 
some things that stick out. I know you in particular were used to be a huge fan of the Goonies. Well, like um, like a lot of people are, I guess. I mean, um, you know, uh, what I think, and I like Richard Donner overall. Let me say, I just haven't seen as many of his movies. Um, but um, and I'm going to leave a lot of this to you to talk about Superman because I know that's what. And that's his best movie, I think, pretty clearly. But um, what I think is so impressive about the Lethal Weapon movies, there's not a whole lot of things that are impressive about those movies. <laughs> Love the second one, though. The second that, one is the best one, yeah. yeah. Now, I haven't seen three or four yet. I've which seen I three. Want to, I haven't seen but, four yet. Um, but he directed all those. Yeah, all of those, yeah. And and that they all pretty much have the same actors in them, pretty consistent. They just, they just add pick people. Up people. But even, I think it's and... even like uh, Danny Glover's family is like the same actors. I think so, like you yeah. know, it's like there's a sense about the Lethal Weapon movies that is like they're pretty like I said, pretty useless nothing movies. But they they just are so self contained in what they are. You know, and it's like, a, and uh... and they're pretty right. On, right down the line about okay they have the same actors same director it's the like all the same creative yeah. team that a lot of these movies don't have so that's something that's always impressed me about that I don't know how much that ball is in is in his court but I mean clearly he continued to direct them and all that mm-hmm. um I mean as far as Superman um I'll speak briefly about that I that's a movie I haven't seen as nearly as many times as you have but uh is one of the most influential movies that exist, frankly, because of kicking off this wave of superhero movies that have, and it's actually a pretty simple movie, um, as far as you've talked about this before, but this idea of it starts as like a, you know, space opera drama on this big kind of canvas, then gets really small to this like farm kind of lifestyle, and then goes to the big city, and it's like all these different kind of versions of itself that it goes through, and it's it's very operatic. Um, I feel like there's a lot of 2001, especially mm-hmm. in the early parts of the movie, um, and yeah, a lot it of it was made in the wake of right. Star Wars, and a lot but... of screwball comedy in the later parts. I mean, it really is an amalgamation of a movie of all these different things, and part of this all comes out of the Saul Kimes wanting to make the movies and everything. But I feel like there's a lot of Donner yeah. um, in that, and you know a lot more about the whole situation, about the making of those movies, about the second movie, and that there's a Donner cut of all that. But um, Superman, just in general, is a really charming, uh, just really kind of perfect movie. Maybe not as totally as a yeah. Superman movie, exactly, but just really is what I'd it say is. more and, than not. Yeah. Right, no, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, you have more to say about that than me, but uh, it's just a really good movie. Um and I don't think enough about, frankly, that I, as I should, um, that is way better and way more inventive than most superhero movies have ever been because it kind of had to start all that from yeah. the beginning. So The big kind of key thing that he always... Uh, and, you know, he was coming off the success of The Omen, which um, is a movie with Crazily. I don't think either of us have seen. No, no, it's a huge horror movie. Mm-hmm. That, and yeah. I know, and that's the thing. I've seen The Wicker Man. Uh, one either, other so. big thing I like about Richard Donner is there's something in it that everyone can find something to love. Yeah, you know, if you were into horror, there's The Omen. A lot of kids love The Goonies at yeah. some point in their lives. Adventure movie. Um, like, action yeah. fans love some or all of the Lethal Weapon movies. Right. There's some other ones that you can kind of go off script and say. Um, some other ones he made, like he made a western like Maverick or 
movie conspiracy theory timeline 16 blocks scrooged even you know there's like yeah. so there's something in there for everybody to love somewhere i've never seen that movie the toy i've heard it's very strange movie he made with richard pryor i think that movie's supposedly um, kind of racist too I've yeah heard. i think yeah. jackie gleason <laughs> wow didn't know he was in um, um but there's yeah. something in there for everybody to love um I first got into Superman in the early 2000s, mostly due to the show Smallville, um, but I had seen the animated series a little bit growing up in the late 90s. Uh, mostly I was more curious in the Batman stuff and the Batman-Superman movie, right. which was really Superman animated series episodes repackaged on VHS. Yeah. I found that out later. Um, but I remember um, it was season... I believe it was season three when uh, Christopher Reeve was in introduced into the world of Smallville and he was a character um, and a little bit before that I think I'd been like oh and I, somebody adult had told me and I think I'd seen clips of it on TV it was my, my mom or my dad was like oh you like this show Smallville you should give the Superman movie right. the chance yeah. and I was like okay sure and you know that really propelled my love even further of the character of Superman um, and the first thing I thought of when I'd heard Donner was passed other than his face um, was the opening credits of Superman the movie? It was like you know, it's got yeah. the, it's in space, and it's those big blue, almost word art looking fonts, yeah. you know. And the very end, it says directed by Richard Donner, kind right. of with that font. His big key guiding thing, and he didn't go into the project some huge, crazy, large Superman fan. He, yeah. you know, he was of a generation that would have seen that in the comics, uh, the right. original comics, and the comic strips, and maybe some of the serials. But his big word he kept hitting over and over again during the production of that movie and one that the Salkinds and a lot of the other writers, Mario Puzo even himself, right. um, well, came onto the project, too, yeah. seen it as a joke. Superman, when, by the mid to late 70s, was a punchline. This was in the wake of Batman and a lot of right. the Batman show and people thought, oh, we're going to take that and do that with uh, Superman, like Biff Powell and like make it a big joke. And on the you see this in the special features, he talks about this and even has a little poster the big word he kept hitting over and over again was the word of verisimilitude, this word of authenticity, that let's try to take this seriously. Sure, we're talking about a character who can fly, who, you know, is the last of this dying race. We're talking about a big, a lot of big, crazy, big sci-fi themes. Um, but it's all about Clark Kent. It's all about that yeah. character of who that is. And his insistence on casting Christopher Reeve into that role was one of the biggest contributions he made to the movie, yeah. period, much less how well the movie moves. Right. And like you said, it's kind of loosely not. Uh, if you go by runtime, this isn't even, but loosely split into three parts. Like you said, this kind of Shakespearean operatic um, dying planet. Then you have kind of the small town Norman Rockwell Americana of Smallville, and then you have the big bustling uh, screwball comedy of like you know um, Metropolis. Uh, Metropolis. Yeah, um, and. That left. I remember as a kid, just like even I, I didn't have the language for this, but this kind of, uh, you know, this knowledge of the whole world at stake, and not just the whole world, but various worlds that have informed who Superman mm -hmm. becomes and is. Um, and it should be said that um, with that original movie, he didn't quite get a screenwriting credit, um, Donner himself, but. Um, like a million people were on that. Well, also, um, yeah. David Newman, Leslie Newman, and Robert, Robert Benton, Benton, who yeah. were the writers of uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's weird. That, um, yeah. Tom Mankiewicz was uh, a writer, and he has passed away in recent years. 
2010, actually, 11 years ago, um, who came on. He had written some of the Bond movies in the mid-70s. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. Um, that he had came on, and he worked with Donner to kind of create a more grounded version of the story. Because Puzo, he came in and kind of pitched the big picture stuff. Yeah. And then... Newman and Benton came in and kind of did this uh, jokey, like, oh, it's an all-big joke, almost the, you know, Batman-esque version of what that would have been. But then Donner came in and kind of said, no, you know what, let's actually really invest in the relationship between Lois and Clark and make it what the brilliance that it is. And they were in the process of shooting one and two at the same time, and they were starting to kind of, the release date was getting a little closer to one. So they kind of all stopped the second one and really ground out the first one which was a huge success and Donner and the Salkinds fought every step of the way and they their first decision when they had a big hit was to cut him out of it because right. they didn't want him anything to do with it so there was the whole Richard Donner cut of Superman 2 that came out in recent years um, I would say that's a lot of people a lot of Superman fans really stand by that and love it I don't really care for it all that much I think Richard Lester was brought on to Finish Superman two, and I think the Superman two. I mean, I've got a <laughs> yeah, I've got a framed poster of Superman two by my bedside here. Um, and I'm not as big of a fan of that as I am the first one. Yeah, but it is, I think, a good, a good enough, pretty good enough movie on its own terms. But Richard Donner fought tooth and nail to make the Christopher Reeve Superman movie what it is. And again, he's got all these other list of credits that are really good and worth worth talking about here and there. But to me, he's always going to be the director of Superman. So. Uh, really love and cherish that movie, and by virtue of that, I love and cherish yeah. him for having been a part of it. I know uh, we didn't really plan on talking no. about those guys, but I thought, you know what, yeah. those are two big deaths that need yeah. to be yeah. at least mentioned and talked about. But again, we're talking about with Neath the Planet of the Apes. Now we have all of humanity dead, but wait, there's yeah. Murr, gold frankincense, but wait, there's Murr. 1971's Escape from the Planet of the Apes is what we're going to be hitting next week. So this is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Dick's great mantra was verisimilitude. Of course, we all had to look it up, but um, what it means is, I think, truthfulness. Keep to, the, uh, keep to the reality, the real truth of the situation. Dick has a talent because of the things that are in him as a person. He wants to believe in those myths. And when you can make an audience believe that what's happening on the screen, even though it's totally extraordinary, that this is actually happening, that's when you have verisimilitude. I have a sign to this day in my office of Superman flying through the air, dragging a sign by him that says verisimilitude, because the story had to have its own honesty. Everybody had to believe it was real. <laughs>